Hello and welcome to another edition of Third Degree Burn. We have a special treat for you as we take a look at uh, John Burns' Elswen. A couple of episodes have already completed and we're playing catch up. We're going to start with 16, Heart of Stone. But first, let's introduce the panel here. I'm Kirk Greenfield, your uh, intern and sometimes editor. <laughs> anyway, and joining me on the left, we have our original host. Say, take a bow, Brian. Hey, everybody. How's it going? There you go. And we have Tim. Hey, Kurt. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, thank you. I was wondering if you'd remember. And last but not least, we have John. Hey, everyone. Good Happy morning. Birthday. Oh, thanks. And so your, uh, birthday, your birthday is on Valentine's Day? Yes. Cat out of the bag. Yeah. And we also have an additional uh, participant whose birthday happens to be on Valentine's Day who's not with us, David had family commitments, so he won't be joining us today as far as we know, but uh, we're thinking of him on his birthday as well. And a happy birthday to Brian, who re recently had his birthday. It was like, two days ago. Just two days ago, yes. And Tim's was a few weeks ago. Yeah. So, so we've all, got all the birthdays lined up they're all, here. They're all clumped together here. And nobody brought any presents. That's terrible. Well, uh, shall we jump right into this? Who's got uh, well, actually, stuff. there's a couple things that we probably want to discuss before we get into all that. First things first, non-spoilery, but have you guys been watching WandaVision? Yes. I am. I have. I'm not, I haven't seen the latest one. I think there's one I haven't. Um... The last two episodes have been mind benders. They are oh so awesome. They're so good. If anyone gave up watching it after the first two or three episodes, because you're like, oh, I don't get this. I don't understand. <clears throat> it's not going anywhere. Please jump back in because it really starts picking up and you start seeing some really cool stuff. Yeah, those first two episodes were just the warm up, getting you getting you into it. And then once you get into it in the third episode, it starts to really ramp up and take off and go different directions. Um, it's still using that that. Uh, sitcom vibe but it keeps changing every episode yeah, and yeah i don't want to say any more than that and then the revelations of the last couple episodes have just been really awesome and a great way of bridging all that that we know uh from you know from the mcu and beyond mm -hmm. the last episode i saw was the introduction of a certain character is there there mm -hmm. been one more episode after that yes, yes. okay so i'm i'm one behind one one back yeah what service is this on it's on uh, disney plus and are there any other legal or not so legal sources to be able to watch it <laughs> as far as not so legal i can't speak to that um i'm sure that you can get it probably on amazon but probably late later let me take a look yeah yeah i don't know if you can buy it on amazon or uh uh itunes i'm not sure you can Okay. I'm sure there are some nefarious ways of getting it, but I honestly can't speak to that. I'm not trying to hide something. I don't know how to do that. Um, right. Well, as a person who doesn't have Disney or any streaming services, uh, I hear a lot of discussion about this, and I've been following it. So I have a picture in my head of what's happened and what is happening. And it sounds very interesting, like I would be interested in this, but I cannot shell out for Disney or any other service just because of fan clamoring. It but I'd be not. interested someday in seeing it. I don't know how or... or well, it'll, I'm sure it'll be released as a... I mean, this will be what... 
a DVD package. Yeah, eight probably eight episodes total when the season's over. That they, they sure they'll release it as some type of physical media that you could pick up of. Um, or they might release it to, you know, license it to Netflix or right, Prime or something. Right, some that's point. true. But it may yeah. be that way um, overseas. I think a lot of times um, they'll release stuff to Netflix that you can't get in the states, but yep, overseas they'll put they'll give it to Netflix. So how long is each episode? About forty five. 50 minutes, almost. An, oh, no, no. These no, are they're, 30, they're 30 minutes. They're, they're, yeah. 30 minutes. they're 22 minutes, basically. Which they're, was they're, a typical sitcom format. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But packed, I just saw an I just saw a, um, announcement, I think, through Facebook or somewhere that the last two or three episodes were going to be hour long. Oh, that makes well, that makes sense. If they if they kind of leave that sitcom format, then they would go into, I guess, an hour long. And then maybe next season, they'll be hour long. Yeah, shows. I don't. Um, I don't see the episodes available. I just see the soundtrack available for each episode. Yeah. Well, I don't know how. What? How do you, Kurt? How do you? Do you? Or you have a cable box? You're getting cable, or how are you getting your TV? No, I mean I've got. Oh, Kurt. I was at Kurt. I mean, because yeah. I don't. I, I, have, I have. a oh, go ahead. An sorry. expensive cable box, and a couple of, uh, uh, you know, Facebook forums that uh, that I drop into and then of course podcasts that i'm listening to so i get my television because i work in this industry i get it through cable um and over the air in effect but uh we're we're in the uh less populated corner of ohio so we don't have a lot of over the air signals and in the hill country we have to have cable so um that's well, how my family gets gets our, our well because uh, disney plus is not a cable channel you have to get it through to streaming service like Netflix. Right. So you have to get it through like a smart TV or uh, a Roku box or Apple but box. If, I'll get mine. If you well, are a customer of HBO in any way through cable or, you know, like you can watch a computer, TV, you? Yeah. you should have access to HBO Max as, yeah. a, as an application. Yeah. Well, my daughter may have signed up and I'm certain that she's streaming some Japanimation or uh, whatever you call the. Well, email. Kirk, this is what we can do. Anime. And I don't know if this is illegal. I don't think it is. We can one of us could watch it and and tape record it and the commentary on it and send those to you. <laughs> That'd be for entertainment purposes and for informational information. And exactly. Purposes. Don't yeah. sue us, please. We have no money. Right. <laughs> well, eventually I'll get to see it. But I'm you know I'm enjoying the discussion. I can hear the excitement. So you I, know, I and, basically and understand what you're saying. I, there's I, other Marvel shows okay. coming up, of course. There's there's uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. There is Loki, and what's what's the other one that's coming up? There's there's another one, isn't there? Uh, oh, I thought there was a whole strew of them, but there's yeah, um, yeah. There's there's a lot. But you know, I, I mean, I think they're already in the can though. When that's you true. watch One Division, you really, I mean, there's so much going on in there that everything is. Seems to be very, very specifically placed. So well, the, the, the Easter the, eggs, the, everything has a purpose at some point, even if it might just be a background thing. But still, it's it's so well, it's such a well crafted show that um, you could probably watch it a couple of times just to look for the well, different this, things. This, yeah. In jokes on the last episode uh, regarding the you know person that showed up at the end of the previous episode were just mind blowing. They were, they were great. Yeah, I mean, well, we're talking Ghostbusters crossing the streams, kind of mind blowing. It was really 
hilarious. I've heard some. Uh, I've I've watched a couple of YouTube's uh, YouTube shows on speculating, and this is this is a spoiler. So if you haven't watched all of One Division or you don't want to know, spoiler warning. Uh, that they 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 theorize that One Division could be laying the groundwork for the FF to enter MCU. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. And the X Men. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, because of the whole um, <clears throat> connection to the Doctor Strange movie with the multiple realities and stuff, maybe they're planning to to open up something and bring those characters in through that type of a portal. Well, and, you know, I want to throw out you know, a couple things. Number one, there was a, a character that had mentioned uh, an astrophysicist uh, that she was going to call, and I think that was a, a nod to Reed Richards. But the oh. other thing to consider. In, in all of this is that in the Marvel universe, the, the, who were the two characters that gave Thanos the worst time in, in, in the battles? Warlock. What? And Captain Warlock and Captain Marvel. Oh, and I think you're talking about the film. Are you talking about the film? Oh, or the sorry. In, in, in Infinity War and yeah, in Endgame. In Endgame, it was, um, Mon- oh. uh, it was actually uh, Wanda. There toward you know in, in in the the last couple battles when she was going after Thanos and she was really giving him a very rough time, and then the other one of course was Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. And the thing to consider about you know what gives them that ability to be so you know, to to give him such a bad time, is that the two of them were created basically by Infinity Stones. Mm. Well, they talk Which, about that that that's where their power yeah. derives from. Right. So Wanda's power came from the, the Soul Stone, the same one that, that you know created the Vision. Yeah. And uh, Marvel's uh, comes from the Tesseract. The Power Stone or the Space Stone. Yeah. yeah. And so you, you really have to consider that with the characters that we're interacting as, as it moves forward. Mm-hmm. And, and to, to realize the direction they're going with this. I mean, it, what seems funny is that the characters that we're seeing came out in some ways, more powerful than the stones themselves. Yeah, I, I could be wrong in that regard. That's just a, a yeah. thought that I had as, as I was watching this and thinking back to over, you know, the other things that happened in the MCU. Yeah. Well, on the the subject of Marvel shows, uh, I've heard that Winter uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to drop the day after the Snyder cut hits. They said that's very strategic, mm-hmm. so that they're going to kind of steal some of the thunder. And since we're talking Snyder cut. Uh, Brian asked us all to watch the latest Snyder, uh, the Justice League trailer. So, do you want to do this briefly? Talk about that. And again, I don't. This is not really spoilers. I you know we're talking about something everybody can see. So, well, I mean, I mean, you, you can find the trailer pretty much anywhere, even on YouTube right now. And it's the latest trailer for the Snyder cut of Justice League. And for those that you know, are, you know, we're not privy to all this. Uh, basically, of course, you know, Zack Snyder was the most, for the most part, the architect of the DC uh, theatrical universe, uh, having directed Man of Steel, then uh, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. And then, of course, he was directing Justice League. And in the process, uh, the things going on there, you know, there was some family issues where his daughter uh, committed suicide. Oh, dear. And there was other things that were going on. Uh, he was released as director of the movie. And they brought in Joss Whedon to, to, you know, complete the film and Joss rewrote and reshot and did a lot of things to take the movie completely away from the direction that 
Zack Snyder had planned. And so ever since that movie came out, and the movie did okay, just didn't do Marvel numbers. And so it's considered a, a failure in that regard. But it made, what, near near a billion dollars, didn't it? Or like, Well, maybe three quarters of a billion, like 780 million. But there have been an outcry of some fans for them to release the Snyder Cut because they knew that he had shot a lot of, uh, of the movie that he had intended to do. And so they said, you know, they can he could put it all together and create the Snyder Cut of the film, much like the Donner Cut of Superman 2 uh, that's been released uh, did. And so with the pandemic and with uh, HBO Max and everything else going on, uh, the powers that be decided to go ahead and let uh, Zack Snyder come back and complete his cut of the movie. And he spent uh, another, what, $80 million, was it? It was a big uh, chunk, I know. A big chunk to to shoot new material, create new things, put all this together. And he's come up with a four-hour cut of the movie. Now, they were originally going to release it as a four-episode a series like in four nights in a row as an event, um, but they they ultimately decided to go ahead and just make it one film. So, you know, get that pause button ready if you have to go to the bathroom. But uh, that's coming out in uh, one month, and it is uh, just highly anticipated. And the trailer that came out today uh, showed us some things that uh, I, if you haven't been paying attention to all the the geek stuff on the spoiler sites and stuff you may not have known was going to happen. And uh, what I'm talking about is the uh, guest star that showed up at the very end of the trailer. Do we dare really? Yeah, I, there's no point in not releasing the name since it is a trailer. But, uh, it was Jared Leto's Joker. But uh, looking a little more Heath ledger in my opinion. Well, you know, when we talk about the Zack cut or the, the Snyder cut or, or this cut or that cut, I question whether they are the same movie. I think I, you know, should we be talking about uh, t another movie is being released that's four hours long as opposed to another version of the same movie? You know what I'm saying? It's almost if they've taken it in an entirely different direction, would it not be more fair to say, oh, there's a another JLA movie that tells some of the same story? Is it like more of a soft reboot? I think it's just like a different perspective, not really a reboot. So, yeah, I kind of think Kirk should just, I, I agree with your idea, Kirk. I mean, just, just release it as a new film, <laughs> even though it covers the same territory. It's just doing it from a whole different way. Well, I, I, I want somebody to break down what, uh, I know that uh, Whedon had to shoot so much. And I think according to, it's either according to, uh, these are probably SAG rules or something that, or the director's rules. That a director has to has to shoot, I think it's seventy percent of a film in order for his name to be on it. Uh, the same thing happened with Richard Lester and Superman Two, and Donner was uh, well when they were filming those back to back, and they fired Donner and brought in Richard Lester. That's where a lot of that the humor that I think does not work at all in Superman Two comes in because Lester had to shoot enough so that he could call it his film. Uh, and I would like to know where. Like you can kind of see the Whedon parts when you're watching the film, but those seem to be just like character moments. What storyline wise was the storyline basically the same? I mean, was it what uh, what 
the story is basically Batman's got to get the Justice League together. Steppenwolf shows up to get the mother boxes. Uh, they fight him. They bring back Superman. They bring Superman back a lot. You know, they resurrect Superman. And then they defeat uh, uh, Steppenwolf. I mean, that's that's the, the gist of the story. I think that's not changing. Except apparently in this one we're getting Darkseid, which is kind of hinted at in the other film for the original. And, we're, and I don't know what the extra... I can imagine what the extra two hours is unless he's setting up more stuff. You know, now that he's got a chance to kind of set up more of uh, the DC universe for you know, forthcoming films. From, from I guess what my husband said is that he's probably going to focus more on Flash and Cyborg stories. Well, those are, I know they're, they're, they're talking, of, or they even, I don't know if they're in production of a Flash film uh, with, um, Ezra Miller. I don't know about if they were going to do a cyborg standalone or not. I, I, not with um, you know, what's the actor's name that's been kind of uh, I don't want to say it's causing problems but he's been vocal about his treatment by uh, Whedon. So I don't know if they are going to do anything with him again with that you know, not with that actor, maybe the character. So at some point, I think it was the end of Batman versus Superman, um, there was, somebody said that they changed a lot of the scene with Lex Luthor that where he's talking about the dinner bell has been rung, ding, ling, ling, that there's a lot more of him either having visions or predicting that uh, Steppenwolf was coming that was just left on the cutting room floor. So I, you know, I don't know if that plays into this, but I'd heard that that was significantly changed or left out. Yeah. Because there's a couple of things. There's the painting on the back wall of uh, Lex Luthor's mansion or something that, that that is significant that plays into that. There's apparently a lot that was taken out that would have made more sense, made you know some sort of connection or or lead to uh, to the thought that Seven Wolf was coming that something was coming at least. Yeah. I mean well at the the scene in uh, the scene with we're, the scene at the very end of the trailer where we see Joker, you know, he turns to Batman and it's Jared Leto. He's not, doesn't seem like he's the same Joker from Suicide Squad, but it's the same actor and he's got more of a, a Heath Ledger type makeup. Now, I think that um, it's the same Joker. I just think that he makes style changes kind of like the Wasp. Oh, well, maybe that's, you know, he's, he's covering up the tats and he's, and he's, uh, you know, putting more of the makeup on, but he, uh, that seems like that's from, because you hear, uh, Affleck as Batman as a voiceover saying I had a dream almost a vision and that's he's referring to the nightmare scene mm-hmm. that he has from Batman v Superman it looks like they're taking he's referring to that in this film you know where that's where he, you know that's the scene that people thought what is this because and now when you saw what looked like parademons and Superman looked like he was it was kind of a fascist state with Superman in charge and Batman was fighting against that and then then that ends, and then suddenly he sees Flash, which we thought was uh, from, you know, Flash was using the cosmic treadmill or something to go back in time to warn Batman that I think it was Lois Lane. Was, that was a take off of the uh, game, uh, in, you know, Injustice. Um, in the Injustice games, um, Lois Lane gets killed by the Joker, and Superman goes basically Crazy. all yeah. all out killing villains and then taking over the world 
and master, mat, you know, managing the world as a fascist. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure they were pulling from that storyline. And while that was a cool game and, and an interesting storyline for that, I would want to, not want to see that as a movie. I, I mean, I, I don't want to see an evil Superman movie. You know, yeah, it doesn't sound like my Superman. No. Well, you don't need to do that when you have it. You've had two films to establish Superman. You, you know, you can do that when you've had a character that's been around for seventy-five years. You can kind of play with altered takes on the character, but not when you're really trying to get your your universal your show up. You know, your your connected universe off the ground. Don't start making him. That's why I, I, I thought this. You know, in Batman v Superman, that he was so uh, Superman was so dour and so. He didn't have the lightness of Christopher Reed. No, he just didn't have any lightness at all. He was—he seemed really, you know, put upon to have to try to save these people, and then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then the, a lot of that those films doesn't make sense that he's that he's hated. He goes from being so hated, including by Batman, to the next film or at the end of that film, Batman has a complete one eighty, and he's like, "Oh, I failed him. I'm not going to do that again." He was—he was. He was what people hope for. He was the light. And it's like, wait a minute, you were trying to kill him just like a couple of days ago. So, you know, it's, it's hard to tell from that trailer. What, what's new. I mean, it's a lot of flash and uh, a lot of action and you get to see some cool stuff. You see Superman in his black outfit. Apparently you see dark side. I, I think that, that they're not going to do the, um, the pet cemetery bit. You know, that that Superman's return is going to be more organic in how it happens, because Zack Snyder touched on it at the very end of Batman v Superman. If you watch the very, very end when they put the dirt on the, the, the coffin and they're putting mm-hmm. it down in the ground, you can see the dirt is moving the same way it did when Superman would be getting ready to take off to fly. Well, if that's his if that's similar to his recovery suit from the death of Superman. Yes. which it looks like, then maybe they're going to go that route and his body's going to be stolen by... Well, he doesn't have a fortress. Well, he's got that ship. He doesn't really have a fortress of solitude. He's still ship, got... ship's, ship's gone at the end of uh, that's right. Seal. That's right. They blew it up, didn't they? So I don't know. I don't know if he's just either just going to regenerate in the coffin and come back or I don't know who's going to take his body and, and, and uh, you know, because the Eradicator stole his body last time, right, and took him back. I don't know, but you're right. It won't. It won't be... Let's throw him in a pool and zap him with lightning and he'll come back. You know, Frankenstein, he'll come back. So it, yep. it's hard to tell. We, it's, it's hard to tell how, the, what, how that show is going to go. I mean, I'm going to watch it, but it's, uh, it's hard to predict. Yeah, well, uh, is there any other subjects we wanted to bring up before we get back to uh, X-Men or get to X-Men elsewhere? No, I think uh, I think we can go ahead and get into let's, – let's preface this, that, but – we're gonna to peel the curtain back a little bit on our uh, our quality show production here because you know we you know everybody knows you know we do a top notch show here. Uh, we do. We, we skipped. <laughs> we hey, it's it's you know it's all for free. So uh, what, what what can you complain about? Uh, we skipped the net. We skipped the issue. We we thought we were gonna cover six seventeen eighteen, which we are, but we thought we'd covered sixteen, which we hadn't. So Brian is gonna give us a brief. Uh, Dr. Bill type synopsis of Hearts of Stone, and we'll cover it quickly. And then the other two a little bit more, a little more in depth, because that's the ones we actually did our homework on. 
All right. Well, Hearts of Stone, Pictures and Words by John Byrne, obviously, uh, <laughs> as all of these are. Um, it, the story opens with, uh, is it uh, Terry and Ashley Martin having driven up on what should be the mansion, finding the remains of the, an the mansion in the aftermath of the uh, recent battle with the, the Dark Phoenix. Uh, and, and so as Ashley's sitting there looking around, she sees that there is a garage area behind all the rubble. And runs over there. Just as she gets there, the uh, the ground opens up. I guess that's a uh, you know the the basketball court that uh, General Stryker was talking. Colonel Stryker was talking about in X Men Two, possibly. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and you see a vehicle looking not too dissimilar from a Fantastic Car, um, the flying car or the Champions Car or whatever or a comes flying. Yeah, yeah, even almost yeah. a Quinjet like coming coming out. You know, out of out of this uh, open hangar. And as she's calling for it, she all of a sudden turns and gets turned to stone with a loud shap. We next see a couple of the asparagus people uh, materializing. Uh, they were invisible, and they're, they're now materializing. And they see that uh, they can get into the hangar this way. So before it closes, they leave the stone figure of Ashley and go down into the uh, hangar and split up. Now, there are four of these uh, Damari uh, people, one of them, of course, being Vuk that we know from uh, Avengers Four, and uh, they're of course on a revenge mission against Phoenix. So they've gone in there, they turn their invisibility back on, and they make their way through the lower levels of the expansion. Uh, we also come across Kitty and uh, Logan, Joff, and um, I forget what what's the mother's name. The, the new maid that uh, they took in when they destroyed her house. I can't remember. And, Pablo's and, and mom. Pablo. Pablo's, Pablo's mom. mom. Yeah. Is it Astrid? Astrid or... No. Anyway, um, it's it's not a normal name. Uh, they're trying to... They've got Wolverine in his costume and they're trying to basically get him to figure out how to pop his claws. And he's just... He looks so beat down, so downtrodden. Um, and, and Kitty's just trying to tell him, you know, come on, pop those claws, snick, snick, you know? And of course, the uh, the uh, Dabari come in with their guns. All of a sudden, Logan comes ready for action. He pops his claws. He, he's going right at him. And they do another shap and turn Wolverine to stone. Uh, next, we see an Annadale on the Hudson, uh, Professor X, Jean, and the Greys all landing there uh, and running into Jean's sister. And they're looking at, of course, the remains of their house from the battle with the Sentinels that happened uh, several issues back. And Professor X, of course, offers that uh, maybe they might be able to get someone to help uh, do a complete restoration. You know, uh, he knows this guy, Stephen Strange. And, and just then, Jean's mother has another one of her patented hissy fits and says, we don't want any help from anybody. I don't care if you've got magic users or billionaires or industrialists or whatever. We're going to fix it on our own. Yeah. I'd like to see the insurance company come back on that one. Anyway, uh, the uh, the police come and basically tell them that they, they can't stick around, uh, you know, because everything is in such a bad state and there's still investigation going on. So they're going to have to collect a you know a few things and then they're going to have to leave. Um, Jean Dunn assures Scott that while she is still planning to leave the X-Men, she's not going to leave him. And, uh, of course, Scott and the professor leave the Greys and head back to the mansion. And while they're heading back, they have a conversation about the way things are going. But as they get to the mansion, 
uh, Ash, uh, Ashley's mother, which uh, her, uh, Terry, of course, runs out to meet them, explains what happened, shows that the asparagus people turned Ashley to stone. And uh, they get uh, another one of those nice little cliffhangers where, and it gets worse. But then they go to another uh, storyline as we go now to see Nightcrawler uh, teleporting around the area, around the hospital and further away as he's trying to get away and figure out what's happened. And he runs into a bunch of people who all of a sudden go back to the 1960s type uh, humans who see a mutant and they're talking, oh my God, it's a mutant. It's one of those bad mutie guys. And they all start chasing him, including a cop who wants to get him with his stun gun. And Nightcrawler teleports away again to just outside of uh, Amanda Sefton's uh, apartment building. Now, if you remember, that's where Spidey and him met up several issues back and a big explosion happened that, um, that you know, that's where Mike, uh, Nightcrawler was taken away from. Uh, he climbs up the side of the building to go inside, pulls open the, the wood that seems to be blocking the way, and he sees the, the, the broken remains of the blown-up apartment. And he's like, Amanda, what happened to you? And a voice comes out from the window that says, oh, man, I wish I didn't have to be the one to tell you. But we're going to jump again with the meanwhile, back to the X-Mansion. And Kitty is reporting to Professor X and Scott exactly what's gone on. How she, uh, when, when the asparagus people came in to attack, she phased out through the wall uh, and, you know, got away just in time to speak to Professor X and Scott. Scott and K Kitty then team up and go back down into the ground and she takes him into a hidden area so they can go ahead and attack the uh, Dabari. Uh, Scott comes in and just starts blasting the Dabari. And uh, one, one of them gets to drop on Scott with his gun, but Kitty, using her phasing power, takes his gun away from him and saying, that was really horrible. It's like sticking my hand in a month-old salad. But uh, she gets shot by another one, and Scott then uses his optic blast on him. And then Kitty figures out how to use their gun and was able to shoot three of them and turn them to stone. And at this point, Vuk is the only one that's left over, and uh, he, of course, tells Scott, yeah, we want revenge for what Dark Phoenix did. And we get a revisit of uh, Phoenix going into their star, causing it to blow up and destroying their planet. And he says, for us, for a race that's nearly immortal, she was able to wipe us out in a single moment. And um, he basically, Luke lets kind of slip that there's still others. When Kitty realizes that, her and Scott are both hit by ray guns, two ray guns. Um, the next image is uh, another meanwhile where we see Colossus going through the woods and he easily pulls a tree out of the ground, <laughs> but he runs into something, something invisible, and he realizes what it must be. So he starts making his way back to the mansion and just as he gets there to tell the professor, he sees Terry Martin and her stone daughter, and I mean stoned in the Dabari way, not in the uh, drug way. Yeah. Um, as he's trying to tell the professor, we meanwhile again to another area of deep space where we see Gladiator on apparently the Shire homeworld picking up debris and rubble and throwing it out into space. Um, he comes up against, uh, comes up to three Shire elders who basically give him a new mission, and that is to. Uh, retrieve whatever remains of Lalandra from the planet of the Earth. Uh, he takes off, 
and meets up with a uh, an Imperial Dreadnought, one of those giant bug ships. That, do they look like giant flies to you guys? Mm-hmm. I think they're supposed I to. Thought so. uh, yeah. June bug. And uh, he, you know, gets basically meets up with the Dreadnought. Uh, he sees who's on board and sees it's his fellow Imperial Guard and wonders if this is a mission of rescue or revenge. Next, a dish best served cold. Not. Good and job. Yeah, good job. That was uh, for all kind of I, the fly synopsis. Very well done. Well, I try. And again, that, that did feel like a Dr. Bill synopsis. <laughs> all props to Dr. Bill. He does that better than I do, I think. By the way, by the way, folks, um, uh, Pascal's mom is Carla. Carla Abascal. Carla. Carla. Abascal. That's, that's, it was the last name. Last name I was throwing you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But her first name is Carla. That must be Castilian and not t- a typical Mexican. Because I, I just never heard that name. I live in Texas. She did. Anyway, go ahead. Well, do we want to, and I can't and I can't remember now how we've done this before. Do we want to cover, uh, just go through all three issues and then talk? Or you want to discuss as Yeah, as go, ahead do do st- go ahead and do the synopsis of okay. the other ones. All right, so now we're going to move on to, and here I'm going to pick up the ball from, from Brian, who, who laid that wonderful foundation for our uh, storytelling today. Pressure is on. <laughs> well, I spent about two and a half hours writing this synopsis. So, oh my! Uh, yeah, that well, it's good. it's. Uh, I'm not saying it's good. I just say I spent a lot of time on it. Uh, so we're covering now. We're covering 17 and 18. Uh, issue 17 uh, is called a dish best a, a dish best served cold. Oh, uh, and it. again, it's a uh, it's a uh, writer artist. Everything is John Byrne. He's the he's the uh, alpha and omega of this uh, this project here. And our synopsis goes a little something like We open on the destroyed apartment of Amanda Sefton, the X-Men Nightcrawler's girlfriend. See issue 3 for the story of why the apartment is in ruins. Mutant is looking for his love when Spider-Man interrupts him. The wall crawler tells Kurt the bad news. His girlfriend is dead. The X-Men, still shaken after escaping from the hospital, accuses a webhead of the murder and leaps at Spider-Man. See issue 16 for the full story on our hero's condition. The attack pushes both of them out the window, and it's a chase across the city. Spider-Man try, tries to web up our blue fur hero, but Kurt keeps teleporting away. Cut to the basement of the X-Mansion. Cyclops is coming to after being zapped by the asparagus aliens. Kitty Pride also awakens, and she notices Wolverine is recovering, recovering from being turned to stone. See issue 16 for why our heroes are stone. She sinks <laughs> below the floor and swims over to Logan to tell him not to do anything rash. Too late. The Canadian hero jumps up and literally makes a chopped salad out of the aliens. Wolverine <laughs> is still recovering from having his brain cooked. See issue 13. Storm arrives as the, as the others are trying to tend to Logan. She notices the tusk screens on the floor are moving. It's still alive. Cut to the apartment of Sarah Gray Bailey, Jean Gray's sister. Jane and her parents are staying with her sister after the events of the previous 16 issues. Our hero is soaking in the tub, and when she's out and she's toweling off, there is a knock on the patio door. A woman with a partially robotic face is there to arrest the former X-Men. Jean reacts and blasts the intruder off the balcony. She tells her family she has never met the stranger. Synopsis note. This Jean is not the same Jean slash Phoenix that Oracle encountered in the past. The cyborg flies back and attacks our hero. The two continue to spar when Gladiator arrives and commands them to stop. 
He tells the mutant she cannot defeat the Imperial Guard. Jean tells him they had never met before. Cut back to Spider-Man. He continues to chase a nightcrawler across New York. He finally manages to anticipate his next bamf and whips him in a net. His victory is short-lived as the mutant teleports away, leaving only his hospital gown. Cut to the crowd below. A young Magneto, or what appears to be Magneto, is approached by an older version of himself. Cut back to the X-Mansion. Colossus, Terry, and Ashley Martin, and the Professor arrive. Kitty gives Peter a generous smooch as Terry is startled by the, the one remaining Dabari, and she slips on the remains of, the, of his colleagues. <laughs> she is helped up by Wolverine, giving her another start. The, aliens explain, the alien explains his race is plant-based and does not die when chopped up. He grabs a weapon and, tried to, and tries to kill the X-Men. Uh, he feels they are responsible for the destruction of his home planet. See X-Men 135. He pulls the trigger until Click, but Kitty has removed the power pack. Cyclops uh, forces Vuk to tell him uh, how to use the gun to change our heroes back to flesh and blood. But before the group can celebrate, Gladiator rips the roof open. He has taken Jean hostage and placed her in a power containment suit. Gladiator is looking for Lelandra, his empress. Uh, Cyclops tells him she died in the recent battle with Phoenix. See issue 14. Cut to Antarctica. The young Magneto is confronted by his older self. He wants answers. Old Magneto, along with versions of Iceman, Marvel Girl, Angel, Cyclops, Beast, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver, offer to make his fondest wish come true. To be continued. Wow. A lot going on in that issue. Good Just job. Wild. Lots of Just wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Alright, now we're on to issue 18. Broken Mirror. We open on the blue area of the moon with Uatu, the Watcher. He is scanning parallel universes and alternate timelines. He's focused on one, Charles Xavier, particularly a timeline where he is not crippled but killed. He sees a white-haired stranger enter Xavier's family home and pull secret files on the future X-Men. Cut to the prime timeline in the expansion. Gladiator and the rest of the Imperial Guard are battling the X-Men. The scuffle is fierce and frantic. Our heroes are having their heads handed to them. Wolverine is in a savage fight with Fang. Logan is in a primitive state due to his damaged brain. The fight continues when suddenly our half-sized hero is pulled away. He is saved by the young mutant Pablo. Fang pushes the attack when Kitty pulls Wolverine, Pablo, his, and his mother and herself through the floor. A member of the Imperial Guard, Astra, phases through the floor and attacks Kitty. Cut to the apartment of Jean Grey's sister. The Imperial Guard, Oracle, is interrogating the, interrogating the Grey family. See last issue. They tell her they know nothing and only recently found out that Jean was an X-Men. Cut back to Uatu and the alternate timeline. Scott Summers meets Jack Winters, a fellow mutant. Jack teleported Scott there, and Scott, teleported Scott to his location, and then beams Scott to a secret hideout inside a volcano, where he meets Old Magneto, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver. Scott is taken with Wanda's beauty, but when her brother Pietro steps in and the two boys fight, Wanda's hex power makes the floor beneath Scott give away, and Magneto has to save him from the lava below. Cut back to the prime timeline. The battle continues when Gladiator receives a psychic message from Oracle. He commands the guard to cease the attack. He has learned what we already know, that this is not the same Jean Grey who became the Phoenix. Pablo and his mom rushed to tell the Professor Kitty and Astra merged and sank through the floor. 
Gladiator, using his supervision, locates the amorphous mass five miles below the ground. He drills himself through the earth and creates a protected sphere around the two females. Inside the, man- inside the mansion, the Imperial Guard continues their search for Landrum. Tempest detects energies in the area. Oracle says the harvesting will be possible. The telepath begins to pull Leandra's soul from the very air around them. But she is too weak and she calls on Jean to help. The two bond and the air seems to thicken and a shape takes form. A piercing wail of a newborn child and the ruler of the Shi'ar Empire is restored. The Imperial Guard take their queen and head for space. Scott and Jean ponder on the alien's sudden departure and hope that this chapter is finally closed. Epilogue Cut to Colossus alone in the woods. He's speaking with the creator. No, not that one. It's John Byrne himself. Colossus is worried about his broken leg. It is not healing properly. Well, JB tells him this subplot is not going anywhere, and since he is the Alpha and Omega of this story, he erases the bad leg and draws in a new one. Enough said. The end. (laughs) Great job. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, these episodes, these issues were just, I mean, they were stunning because, you know, they've taken it into another direction. I don't think anybody was anticipating uh, the moment that you saw that that second Magneto. Mm-hmm. I do have a, I do have a big question about the first Magneto, but we'll we'll get get to that when we get through it on the on the, the walk through here. Um, but you know, I really enjoyed these. I was uh, you know again looking at these every day, just couldn't wait to 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 see the new pages every morning. I, I can't imagine how you guys read these a day at a time because. I, I mean, I honestly was getting whiplash the way these things were jumping back and forth, and and I'll be honest, the first time I read through, I was a little, I was a little disappointed because like, you know, he seemed like he was setting up too many things, he was introducing too much stuff. He wasn't paying off, or he wasn't wrapping up other stories until this last where he seemed to wrap up the big story, and then he was then he introduces the Magneto storyline, which seems to be that's the story. And then the Nightcrawler things like, okay, where's that going? It seems it's really dragging on. So, I kind of blame a lot of that on the criticisms that he's been getting. And what I mean is that, you know, unlike a regular comic, a regular comic book, you know, is produced four months before it actually gets published and released to the public. And the feedback then comes within the next couple months afterwards. And, you know, they, they can sit there and respond to it, but they don't normally incorporate that into any of the story ideas. But here, putting out a page a day and getting instant feedback, not just positive, but negative feedback, has caused Burn to rethink a lot of things and move things around plot-wise and kind of, you know, chop things up and change them from the way that they were to the, the way that, you know, best suits what he thinks the fans would appreciate. And as a result, I think it's made some of the plotting uh, a little mishmashy. I, and I agree. Something yeah. stretched out. Yeah. Well, I think the Spider-Man Nightcrawler that seems more to admit this is going to pay off later. That seems to be well. I want to draw Spider-Man and Nightcrawler. That'd be cool. And that seems to be the only purpose of that because that's almost standalone from that stems back from what issue three from when uh, or very early when Nightcrawler and the rest were captured and put in sentinel suits and then they were they were all in yeah. the hospital with um, 
Because we haven't, he hasn't touched back with the rest of them. There's what was who else was in the hospital? It was Wanda, and Alex and Lorna. Alex and Lorna. Those we haven't heard from them. It's just he just he just been following Nightcrawler, right. and that seems to be like an indulgence. Like I want to. Maybe it's gonna again. We don't know. It may pay off bigger, but he seems to be because this is issue eighteen, and then you know we don't know how many issues he's gonna do. We we assumed it was gonna be about twenty, right? So, well, that, that's what it sounded like at first, but that what he's finding is that he still has stories to tell. Well, he obviously has and because this. he's starting whole brand new the, the whole Magneto thing. Like that's just getting started. So, and just the, in, within the last few days, uh, with with uh, the newest issue, he is getting more positive reaction than he has gotten all along. And it, he made a comment, and I, I, I pulled this down because I just thought it was <laughs> really. Really interesting. Um, where is that? I think a lot of the uh, positive reaction to this new storyline is, you know, it's it's Phoenix burnout. I mean, the last fifteen issues have all been about that one story for the most it, part. It has definitely been leading up to it and building up to it. Yeah. You know, the, the story from Jean going to a, a, a child's mind. Uh, you know, in her up until the 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 rebirth or the 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 reunion with the uh, original Jean Grey. Yeah, yeah, it definitely took quite a while. Yeah. But his notes here, though, this is just a, a little two line here. He says, "Can't help but notice the last couple of pages have produced a surge of comments, outstripping anything since the earliest days of this project. Maybe it is a good idea to give the fans what they think they want. Sometimes, and that's yeah. just." Yeah, it, it's interesting because you know he's always said you know never get the fans what they think they want, and that's why you know when he plotted out uh, Alpha Flight, you never saw the team together as a group very often, and the stories went in directions you just didn't anticipate because he wanted to eschew the normal team book tropes. I would really hate to see him kind of bend to. I don't want to say fan pressure, but he should tell the stories he wants to tell the way he wants to tell them. And I mean, I well, guess I, I think it's like an editor, you, you know, like uh, the, the good editors, when they would sit there and hit him with something and it would get him thinking And a week later, he'd go, here's what I've come up with. You know, here's my what, what, what I've come up with based on what you said. Well, last week you said you didn't even want to do it. You know, it, it, it's, you know, we're hitting him with thoughts and ideas and things that he may not have considered. And it causes him to rewrite and restructure. Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily the best way to go about, you know, plotting out and, and doing a book like this. But without the uh, without a regular editor, or you know, uh, I don't know who he's bouncing it off of. If he is bouncing it off of anybody, you know, this is the the best way for him to get the kind of feedback he needs. He just needs to definitely cherry pick it and make sure that he's pulling the best. Yeah, yeah, and I think it suffers a little bit from not having a, a single kind of editorial uh, feedback. Instead, he's got kind of a, a group, kind of a, I hate to say, like a mob mentality of feedback that, you know, where do you, you know, if you're getting hit by, you know, a thousand different comments on this is good, that's not good, change this, you know, change that, and, where do you, and what do you been do? Part of, that's been part of the trouble there, though, is that, you know, as much as there are people saying how much they love it, there are also people that are critical of, you know, the choices that he has made in plotting, in, 
you know, what he's, what the subject matter and everything. Oh, more Phoenix stuff. Oh, more Nightcrawler stuff. Oh, more, you know, they, they grumble and growls about that. Now, they're not trying to necessarily be too heavy handed on it, but it's coming every day. Uh, anytime you see one of those storyline, one of those threads being utilized, the people growls about it. And so it seems like a very constant criticism. So much so that I actually went out on Facebook and I said, you know, there's been criticism on Elswin. And I said, what are they doing right? What is it that you love about it? And I got a lot of really, really good responses. I even got a, a short but nice response from Rob, Rob Liefeld. He says, man, I'm loving it, you know? <laughs> there are a lot of really good responses from people out there. I got 50 in just a very short, 50 responses in a short time. And I'll read some more of them later on as we go through it. But I think we need to... But how much take, of this is... Uh, and I include myself in this, how much of this is kind of being colored by nostalgia of, ooh, John Byrne is finally back on the X-Men. Well, that's exactly it. And I that's... mean, it's not, it's not just that, because this latest storyline was based off of a uh, kind of a what-if uh, fake cover that Byrne had drawn in, uh, was it The Art of John Byrne? It was a, yeah, there was a drawing that he, he had showing a what-if Magneto had formed the X-Men team right. and um and yeah ever since then I mean wow I mean I got that book back in what 1980 81 82 whenever it came out and that was well, a what it does go back really wanted to see <laughs> yeah I mean it, it's cool it, it, the, the big question lately is what do you call Magneto's X-Men you don't call them the X-Men and they got M's on their belt buckles and so do you call them the M-Men they're the Magmen the Magmen See, I, I, I just call them the children of Magneto. Um, or the or Brotherhood. The Brotherhood of Mutants. You can still wouldn't call be them the Brotherhood of Mutants. Yeah, yeah and it got, that, that, can, that counts for the M on the belt, too. Exactly. You could yeah. still call them the X-Men because wasn't the mutant factor called the X-Factor? At I mean, at some point, I don't know if that evolved into the Bronze Age when, uh, as they develop more into it, but I thought that uh, eventually, by the time the Team X Factor came about, that's what it was for. But you, you remember that, that you know when Stan was writing, and he, again he said this in an interview. I don't know if it was what he was thinking at the time, but you know he's drawing parallels to Malcolm X. Uh, you don't, I don't know that you want to draw parallels between Malcolm X and Magneto, but who would you draw parallels to from that day and age? Well. Um. Yeah, that's so that's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> I don't remember ever, as these books were coming out, and I started reading it around the teens, uh, not quite at the beginning, but I don't remember any discussion of the civil rights movement or the black rights movement or any of that at all when these things were initially coming up. I think somebody's looking back on it in hindsight and trying to apply that model to it. Well, no, Stan had said before that he was, you know, trying to, you know, champion the minority. And and that made sense, you know, in that back then that it would be, you know, more about the African-American community. But as we got into the modern age and Brian Singer was directing, you know, the X-Men movies, Brian Singer himself, you know, was out as gay, that he made, you know, made it more like a, a gay metaphor, especially if you listen to the conversation between Iceman and his mother. In X Men well, too. Yeah, that's pretty mm -hmm. on. That's pretty on the nose, but yeah, very on the nose. I mean, it, you you pick whatever group is the downtrodden group that's been discriminated against, and they're the 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 parallel. And in the '60s, when X Men were first created, that was definitely the 
African-American community. I mean, it still is in, in, in many ways. But he, you know, if, you're, if you're discriminated against, you can look at the X-Men as your... Uh, right. It, it fits lots yeah. of... It fits in a lot of whole... Uh, fits in a lot of scenarios. Um, what do you guys think about... Cause we we kind of... In 16, we kind of grew across him, but I think we saw him actually in 15. First time the Dabari show up. What do you feel about him bringing those aliens back uh, in, in what is... I, I think it feels like a storyline is kind of going, it's, it's kind of gone nowhere now. It's kind of over with, with them wanting, I mean, wanting revenge. It feels more like, uh, that feels almost more, I mean, this is fanfic. It feels more like a, a fan, not not John Byrne himself, but a, a, one of us saying, hey, whatever happened to those guys? You, we saw them briefly in X-Men 135. Uh, and, you know, they, 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 he, those are resurrected from, what the Avengers number four, whatever it was back yeah. in the sixties when they were around, and it feels like, hey, whatever happened to you know, you know the things that fans focus on. They see one little snippet, one panel of something, like, hey, whatever happened with that guy, or what if this person did this, and and he kind of ran with it by bringing them back, and them trying to get revenge on the X Men, and then it just becomes a, uh, and they almost become uh, a little a joke. A joke, yeah, exactly. Towards Top the end, salad. they're kind of, well, they are. You know the fact that they're they're uh, uh, and they say they look like asparagus. I think they kind of look like Beaker from the Muppets, but um, <laughs> but, <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, I don't know. I, I just didn't. I didn't know if that was if okay. That story came in and now it's it's over with. So it, it should have been one issue. I agree. To me, to me, the, the the whole story with them should have been one issue. But the way he's doing the pages and the plot lines, and he's constantly wanting to do that page cliffhanger thing it causes things to get stretched out and I, I you know i see that now um you know looking at all this in hindsight you know it's just like when when this story started and you see ashley and her mother in there you're like take it wait a minute what's what's this and that goes from like several issues back i think well hey that's but what i, I said I, that. I was getting whiplash because he does and i wonder if that's a a, a byproduct of him doing these pages one at a time and then releasing them instead of doing all the pages and letting somebody see him you know seeing the editor seeing him as a whole and then releasing that as one issue he is it's more like he is giving these little cliffhangers uh, yeah well and the thing is i'm wondering it, i don't think that he is drawing all the pages in order that we're seeing him like he's sitting there drawing a storyline and a storyline and a storyline and he's piecing it together like a jigsaw puzzle to make it work out to be the book that he wants and so that's part of what's stretching all this out and that's the plotting thing that people are complaining about as they're uh you know as they get on the web each day on uh, on facebook yeah i mean and, and, yeah we can criticize it but it's no it's no it's no worse than the other modern comic or any other comic you know the the artwork's yeah. beautiful i mean it's sometimes there's a, a little wonky piece here or there and there's a few uh there's a few and we've talked about this before, nitpicky, because Byrne does try to get into the, the kind of the science of, of, of comics here and not just, uh, he tries to explain some of the stuff. And some of the stuff Kitty yeah. does seems a little, we discussed that, that, you know, when she mentions when she goes to Wolverine, somehow she can feel, because cause adamantium, I guess, is, is so super dense that... Uh, that she can feel it or it's harder to move through him. Um, 
and later when and, she's oh go ahead yeah with the dabari she's feeling them she says it feels like really heavy salad yeah it's like uh, okay i don't i don't know if that's would feel and when she's later when she's swimming when when she comes to after the dabari have turned they just kind of stunned them they didn't turn to stone and she's coming to and she swims over to and you see her under the under the floor within all the the foundation and somehow she can see the shadow of uh wolverine it's like almost like she can sense or see through the floor i don't know how that works with her power and then she she partially like phases her just her lips and her nose above the ground and whispers to him but i don't understand how that would work right because she's never seen like she she needs oxygen yeah to partially yeah and and if she can if she flies or quote walks on air because she's lighter than air then if she's phased her lungs couldn't push any oxygen through her larynx to create in in all the stories in the past she's always had to take a deep breath of air before diving down into something deeper or or, yeah it, it, it it's it's unusual you know but yeah okay i'm gonna roll with it <laughs> well and i think i would roll with it if he didn't try to kind of call it out by her constantly saying oh you know almost like he's he's he wants to point out that she feels and that makes sense that if you can phase through things you would be able to get uh, different sensations from the exactly uh, and you might have you have may have yeah. some other kind of sensor sensor sensory that you could sense uh, maybe it's not such as she can see uh, Wolverine lying on top of the thing. I don't know. So it's more like you're by drawing attention to it. That makes me want to nitpick it more than if you just said, you know, if she just was just walking through walls and doing things like that. So, yeah, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking back at the, the opening pages of issue 16 hearts of stone. And of course the first page is a full page splash of, you know, Ashley and her mother, you know, at the rubble of the mansion. And I don't know. I you know I I understand that he needs this for the story, but I just think that that was the wrong thing to use as a full page splash. And then the second page itself again is them getting past the rubble and seeing the little ship take off, and then her getting stoned. And it's five panels, and it seems like they could have taken the first three pages and done that in two pages easily. It's just me. But, you know, people have been commenting that, you know, Burns uh, not going into the smaller format of how he used to draw things back in the 80s, where he would do a nine panel page or something a little bit more compressed in the art so that, uh, you know, when when you make the smaller panels, you don't have to draw as much detail. And that's something he's commented on, that when you make these larger panels, you wind up putting more detail into it and into the characters. So I guess it's a, it's a matter of what you would like, but uh, I was just thinking that that they could have done that in two pages. Well, yeah, this this a lot of this is very decompressed, and it it, it mimics a lot of what how modern comics are told that you know they're t- they're taking five issues to tell some you could take take one, uh, but that just may be his that uh, um, you know his I mean his it's not he doesn't do a lot of big pages. He's got some some small. Uh, panels in here you know these are seven panel six panel uh i will say with that coloring the the stone effect is a little hard to especially if it's, if it's figures are smaller it's hard yeah, to tell who's... it looks like the particulate ship pieces on it to realize exactly okay, that's you know it's stone. hard to tell who's stone who's not yeah um 
It's got to be in the coloring. That's that's what. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's what's throwing me off. Yeah. What, what I do like is the the Dabari when they're flying down into the hangar. You get the sense that, that they're flying, but not like other characters fly. You know, like when other characters fly under their own power, you know, their their whole body's into it. With these, it looks like they're being suspended by something. So it's like their suits are have got a harness or something in there that's flying them. It's like an anti-gravity belt or something. Yeah, and, and so th- th- they look, you know, like they're being pulled by something or, or, or driven by something. And I, I just find that really, really cool. I really like that initial splash page where they have all the Argo Bargo, the, the wreckage of the uh, of the mansion. I think he's done an incredible job showing you know, shutters and doors and lamps and all sorts of uh, odds and ends. I, I think he's he spent a lot of time on that, and he didn't have to, but I really liked that. I thought that was a very effective beginning. Well, the, the downside of pages like this is that all the people that have been inking Burns' work just see it as such a daunting task that nobody inks these one these. Then they go for other pages more action. Are you mean to fans? Well, yeah. yeah if you're gonna, yeah, if you're a fan, you want to ink Burn. You don't want to. You don't necessarily want to ink a lot of uh, of rubble. But my big problem with the splash page is Terry's mom says, or no, Ashley's mom, Terry says. You know, oh, I, you know, I see about a million nails sticking out, and, and Terry, or Ashley says, "Don't worry, I'm pushing him back in." Well, her superpower is not strength or thing like that. So you're not telling me that this girl, and if you know the kind of nails they use when they're building houses, well, wasn't her it, power over inanimate objects and was it? Yeah, I mean that's okay. how she controlled the. Sun. Okay, okay. So that that one why why he was saying I'm pushing him back in. So she's she's her mutant power is to. Is cause the nails to go back in because I thought yeah. no way you're pushing those back in with your fingers. Right. No, that yeah, that's not, that's not what what yeah. she meant. But the I thought the the you know back to the Dabari storyline. I thought if they seem more, they never seem like really a threat. To to your point, Kurt, they seem more kind of like a joke. So what if if you wanted to have this storyline, make them at least a credible threat, and not kind of these four salad guys. <laughs> seem to be kind of more of an irritant than uh, anything else. Well, I mean, it's all the classic misunderstanding. I mean, uh, all, all these next you know issues are based on is misunderstandings. The Dabari think yeah. that they're they're you know partially responsible for their world being destroyed. Billions of people, keep in mind, you know, killed in that one moment due to the Dark Phoenix. Uh, the the Imperial Guard think that the X Men have somehow got the essence or whatever of uh, Princess Alandra and that Jean Grey, in whatever form she is, is still responsible. And again, it's all misunderstanding. Nightcrawler thinking Spider-Man killed his girlfriend. Again, misunderstanding. And yeah, and I, I, I didn't... Because if they had met before, I think this... They, they established that Nightcrawler and Spider-Man, they seem to know each other. So this seems to be after they met you know, uh, Spider-Man... 161, 162, I think. So why... I mean, I know this is... that Kurt is still kind of... He's still, I guess, feeling the effects of being mind-controlled and he's a week from being in the hospital. Mm-hmm. But why he would... You know, that's true Marvel fashion that he instantly thinks, oh, if you're responsible, you killed her, I'm going to attack you. Hey, do you know, the thing is, and I, I think that this is where the writing suffered a little bit in, in how Spider-Man was written. Because... 
Spider-Man comes across Nightcrawler, who's clearly disoriented, and says, oh, you're looking for her? She died. You know, I mean, it, it, there wasn't any, I mean, he said, I hate to break it to you, but you know, there wasn't any moment of, of trying to calm the situation down because that right there is what inflames the situation is when you sit there and blurb that out. It's like so many people love to tell you when somebody dies. Right. I mean, Spider-Man is a, a, a smart aleck, but he's not callous. I don't right. I, I agree. I think that was, uh, but I think she's not going to turn out to be dead because isn't she, isn't she, she isn't she, she's, a, she's a witch or she has powers or something. I had to look her up. I wasn't really familiar. According to Claremont, uh, she's got powers and her mother, Margali Swartos, was a major uh, magic user. Right, uh, so I, I, I think she's the, adopted mother, which means right. they were adopted brother and sister. Yeah, they said Ooh. that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of creepy too. But uh, I think that's um, I think she's going to turn out if if she's revisited. I think she's going to turn out to be yeah, the dead, the dead body's going to be like a neighbor, or it's just she wasn't her. dead. You know, he could says I saw them take her away. It doesn't you know he all Spiderman. He says he saw them take her body away. Right, so it doesn't mean that she was dead, you know. She could have been, right. yeah, they could have covered her up with a, with a, a, a sheet. A body but, bag. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, 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 I think that it's going to turn out that it's a neighbor that's dead rather than her. But again, you know, this is Byrne doing what he wants to do. He may have just killed her. I mean, the thing is, is like, how many of these can we go through? All these battles, all this horrible stuff going on, and there's not any kind of body count. You know, well, that I thought that about the end with uh, the laundry where they when Oracle somehow, you know, they they talk about uh, and they talked about earlier that they have to uh, they think they want to find what's left of of her. And they somehow they may hint that they are pulling her like if she was disintegrated in, in her and she's existing kind of like energy. They're pulling her back together, reforming her. And she seems to be reborn, and, and and I didn't really talk about my synopsis, but I guess she's she's weak, and maybe she doesn't seem to know where she's at, and maybe she has to be uh, maybe like Uhura. She yeah, sort yeah. of so, like a phoenix. Phoenix. <laughs> so well, I mean, she wanted Phoenix to be the the reoccurring villain. I, I don't think he plans for her to be the reoccurring villain here, but he wants to be able to set the the the, the road in motion. So that, you know, that if, if it's like, you know, make, making sure things are okay for writers down the road. Mm -hmm. But why, why bring her back? That seems like something a, a follow-up writer would do that he's killed. He's killed Leandra. Let her stay dead. And then somebody else would come along and go, Oh no, we got to bring her back. She's a fan favorite. So how are we going to bring her back? Well, let's, let's do this. And he's done that himself. So unless to your point, she is going to then, somehow be the vessel for uh, Phoenix and in the future she will be uh, a bad but then that that also goes with what we talked about on our last Galactus story that if you overuse Galactus then you kind of water him down and I think right. the same goes for Phoenix because she is that level of power if you start using her too much then she starts to lose like her Borg on Star Trek Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You, yeah. It just becomes, you get, you know, you've said it yourself, Brian, you get Phoenix fatigue. And I, I feel that way. It's like, they always feel like they have to go back to Phoenix. They keep doing it. I think they're doing something with that now with, uh, in the, in the comics now they're doing something with, they had that, 
they had that storyline where the Phoenix came back and they split amongst five. And it was the Phoenix Five. I don't even remember what that crossover was. Was that X-Men versus the Avengers? It was terrible. Uh, and then they, and they're doing something with Phoenix now. They're, uh, everybody's the Phoenix. Right. And they get, and it gets to be, and that, that goes a lot with, uh, and this is mostly Marvel. They've done that with Spider-Man and they've done it with Hulk. That suddenly now, how many, you know, Spider-Man was, how many many Hulks are there? Exactly. There's Spider-Gwen, there's, there's one called Silk. There's like all these different iterations of a spider-like, it's like, no. You know, I was fine with Spider-Man and maybe... You know, we're you know, coming up once... to a crisis of infinite phoenixes. Yeah. And so now that they can, is... they can wipe it all down and get back to one universe. Or two. Or three. Or six. Or seven. It gets to be too, too, much of, too much of something. So yeah. well, Speaking but, um, of, of other universes, let me jump ahead here to uh, this splash page in effect for 18 uh, with the Watcher, Broken Mirror. Have you, did you look at the panels that the Watcher is looking into? Oh, yeah. Have you recognized what each one of them are? Aren't the, they covers to each of the what individuals? Ifs? What ifs? Yeah, they are what-if stories. Uh, maybe not the exact cover, but they're pretty close. But you can pick out at least nine of them. Um, and I thought it'd be fun if we went through and tried to identify them. If well, you guys got a moment. Let's finish this one first. Because okay. I, I, I think we were like... In the middle of a, of a couple pages, we just got, of course, dragged away on a couple tangents right, we'll here, that, especially then. as far as the plotting. I think one of the next things that um, that kind of, like you say, is almost overdone is the hissy fit that Jean's mother has. Uh, again, but I think that was put in there just so they could have the moment where Scott and Jean have their, you're leaving the team, but you're still not, you know, she's not leaving him. But the storytelling is a little decompressed and so it adds so much more into it. Well, do you think, uh, and I thought about this at the end of the, at the end of this run where it's, uh, uh, Scott and Jean are kind of like when they see the, the the Imperial guard of left, they're kind of like, Oh, let's hope that's over with, you know, do you think he's setting up that maybe the team is changing? If, if, if Jean is gone from the team and Scott, maybe Scott leaves with her, Wolverine is still in his primitive, you know, has no memory state. So maybe he's off the table. Are we going, and then Nightcrawler's off. Are we kind of going to get a, a change in the team dynamic and we're going to bring yeah. in a couple mm-hmm. of new characters for a while I, I, until those. We're going to get, we're going to get more characters. We're going to, I think we're going to get, you know, uh, Angel and Iceman and Beast uh, coming back around. But, and, 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 and such, but. I don't think he's going to get away from this new uncanny X-Men group uh, so much. He's just not going to have Jean there as Marvel girl um, all the time. You know, she's not going to be able to stay out always because there's things that are just going to keep dragging her in case in point, the current storyline. One thing I did want to point out though, is, you you know, that, that segment where the, the police officer comes up to him and starts talking to him. If you look on the, that that page, you know, there's a long shot coming in after Jean tells her mom that she's leaving the X-Men. Well, the cops coming up to him, they're standing next to the flying car. And the cop is more concerned with them being on the street. <laughs> the, the, it doesn't say anything about the flying car. No, no. Uh, 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 Scott says, Jean, you're preventing any, uh, anyone from seeing the flyer. 
Oh, okay. Yep, I missed that. I missed that right there. Yeah, so he's he's basically she's blocking, you know, anybody <laughs> from seeing. Yeah, otherwise he'd be like, "Hey, get get this hovercraft out of here," you know. But uh, I also want to bring up so I thought it was interesting. If you flip, uh, it's towards the end when when Kenny is zapping the Dabari with the gun, and she says, "Okay, I think I figured out the trigger on this thing." Uh, that I don't know why. I think it's just the angle and the and the and the, and the beam coming out. That looks a lot like there's a scene in, I think it's Hulk 3, where he's blasting the Toadmen, and he grabs their gun, and it looks, it's a scene a lot like this, where he's kind of blasting in there with their own pistol, so I thought that's, I don't think that's necessarily an homage to it, but it, it reminded me of that. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, that's, that's, that's really, really cool. Hmm. I, I mean, you know, there's a lot of things in here that are homages to other things. Like when Nightcrawler is running against, you know, the, running up against the cop and all those people, that really felt more like a Stan and Jack type anti-muty scene, you know, rather than something that we saw in the Burn Claremont era of the X-Men. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, but even even to that point, uh, Brian, if you re- you know if you read the early ones, they weren't quite as outcast in those first say. 20 issues as they had become later where they were they were hated they were you know there were even scenes where they were kind of dealing with the government so um stan was never as as heavy-handed about the discrimination as roy thomas and and other right. writers were uh that, that you know that came in behind him um warner roth i think was one of the others um, i i could have that wrong though but uh yeah i mean definitely other writers made it a lot harder what did you guys think though um, the sequence where Kitty is trying to tell Wolverine how to pop the claws and he can't do it. And then all of a sudden, you know, one of the Dabari come in and he is like on instinct. It's just like yeah, there and he goes on attack. It, it's like there's two Wolverines. There's the, 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 the timid Logan and then there is the battle Logan. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, that, that's what I thought was kind of silly because I, I would think that would be more of a muscle reflex that he would just uh, not consciously think about doing it. But I guess you have to have a certain amount of control over it because otherwise he'd be popping them just yeah without and, thinking about it. But and as far as the whole Logan's brain thing goes, if his brain was completely fried the way they say, he wouldn't be able to talk or anything. And he is able to talk, and he is able to figure out who people are. So I think his memory and everything is still slowly restoring. You know, well, I, think, I think you hit upon part of it. He um, Pablo has a link with Wolverine. Mm-hmm. If you've True. noticed, well, you know, Logan is acting more like a child, like Pablo, than he is um, Wolverine, except for when his instincts show up. So I think we're going to see something come of the storyline between those two, that the solution to Wolverine lies with Pablo. Well, and Byrne himself has said, in fact, he calls it out in one of the, one of the I think the, when he's saving Wolverine, when he pulls him away from Fang, he, he says, an undef- still yet undefined power. So yes. even, yes. he doesn't know what Pablo's power is. And, you know, it may be that Wolverine, to your point, if he's, he would be kind of a blank slate. You know, his brain's recovered, but he would be like, he'd be like Ohura and Nomad. You know, she's, he's, his whole brain is just wiped clean. Maybe Pablo is 
is somehow using Wolverine more like a puppet. Maybe he is controlling him to a certain extent because that's maybe why he is acting childlike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Pablo does lash out and when Wolverine lashes out. So maybe that's... But I think you're right. That's going to be some of the key to him. Or maybe Professor and Pablo together will somehow restore uh, Wolverine's memories. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe. Okay, let's, let's jump ahead a little bit. Um, you know, the X-Men return to the mansion and Kitty kind of brings him up to speed of what's going on. And then, you know, you know, Professor Xavier explains who the Dabari are. And all of a sudden, Kitty's like, time to stop talking. Come on, Psych. She grabs Cyclops and just pulls him into the floor. Yep. And, I mean, she doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't even say, whoa, wait a second, or anything. I mean, this is really impulsive, I thought. And yet, you know, she's sitting there taking taking the lead and bringing Cyclops along <laughs> for the ride. I just thought that was really, really bizarre. I mean, I understand it's a kid, but uh, you, you figure Cyclops would have uh, stopped her or tried to stop her at least. Well, I don't know if you can. I mean, and he says it's not the first time he's done, but... Uh... Well, he also says once they get there, he says, okay, take a breath. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> take a breath now. <laughs> And they also, and I, I didn't pick up on this either. When, when that same panel, when when Psych is blasting him, and he says, "I wish I could understand what they're saying," but they're later they're able to converse with Vuk. So yeah. they don't establish if they're using some type of a translator. And when they're talking amongst themselves, um, I wish he had done something to the text to let us know that that is their native language. Yeah, um, and not some type of translator that translates or some kind of English they're using when they, uh, because they seem to be no problem. Uh, you know, when he says, when Kitty takes the guy's weapon, and says, my hand, uh, my weapon, what happened to it? And she apparently understood that and says, I did, you know, and explains, you know, oh, I grabbed it. Book has so, been left on earth for thousands of years and he speaks English. The others, however, uh, have not. Okay, so I wish they'd... Okay, if that's the case, I wish he'd make that a little more clear that he I is think speaking he says English. It. I think he says it here. Does he? Uh, maybe we're not to it yet, but there is, there is some line where he says, okay, now, you speak English, so I want to know what's good. Here it is. It's about the third page. After she freezes them, makes them into sound, then Sykes says, okay, take a deep breath, Sprite, while I have a few words with our green guest. Out with it. I heard you speak English. Okay. He says, you're correct, I'm Vuk, survivor of the Dabari. And he says so, he won't survive much longer after that. Yeah, but yeah. he says, oh no, you don't. I mean, Now, do you feel like he should have taken the whole page to, uh, even more than the page, page in one panel to recover the destruction of the Dabari homeworld? I don't. I don't think it was necessary. I mean, it's basically almost panel by panel. He didn't really change a lot from what he he did, but uh, I think he could have done it with just that bottom panel where you see her on the right and Book is kind of, you know, telling his story and then maybe had one more panel where the, the, or just said, hey, you know, she made... Of course, that would have been a good time to say, you know, as an editor's note, see X-Men 135. Yeah, sure. But... I guess he's not going to do that in his fanfic. He's not, he's not doing any any editorial no. notes in the fanfic if he doesn't have to. He's not going to point back to 
any issues either of his stuff or or the old stuff. Well, he's not even pointing back to issues within this run. Right. There are times he could have, you know, like when you see Nightcrawler and Spider-Man, he could have said, you know, hey, see issue. I had to keep, I, when I was writing my synopsis, I had to go back and kept looking at the other issues to see when this was so I could put my own notes in. Well, he could have done that. That may be legally so that he and Marvel don't get tangled up. No, I mean, even, even to his own issues. He could refer back to his own issues of Elseland, and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know. Okay, now I've got a question. Uh, the page where we see Colossus out in the woods, why is he away from everyone else? Yep. Well, I got that I mean, too. He, he why is he tearing up the tree? Well, why, he and Storm both, why are they out away from everybody else? Well, Storm at one point said she was off on her own to kind of gather her thoughts or clear her head or something. So when she comes back, she was, it was nice to be out on my own for a while. Yeah. I don't remember why. Why? Um, but it says he seeks some quiet time alone, completely unaware. I, I don't think that the. I mean, I understand why he, the professor or anybody would say it was a good idea for Colossus to leave the group um, at all, and yet he's you know walked away and he's you know kvetching about his leg. Well, we don't have to worry about that for much longer. Well, but I think we, I the, think uh, that is the tree thing. Uh, though, was a, a direct uh, shot on the Claremont remark from that that old old x-men story that made burn quit the x-men because if you remember claremont made it sound like pulling that tree stump out of the ground was a herculean effort that almost made colossus's you know joints break apart and yet here he does it so easily and and quickly that there's no no trouble whatsoever and that's you know the thing he, he, he liked to say but um again you know having colossus out there does allow him to run into the cloak ship and, you know, that does help the situation some. Or at least it's, it should at some point. Well, th- this may be the subplot with the whole... I mean, he talks about his leg not healing, but how long has it been? I mean, it seems like it's just been days. You heal, your legs, unless that's some type of a uh, uh, high-tech cast that's supposed to regenerate your bones, I don't know why he would think that it would heal Yeah. that quickly. But, you know, again, you know, you know that's the... It, it's okay. The, the plot thread has been erased. I really thought that this was simply going to be a metal block that he had. And that the, It could have been handled in, in one page with the professor saying, okay, Peter, you've been limping along for a while. I need to go into your head and show you. It's all in your head. You don't have a problem. You're just afraid of having fear. So let's flip the switch. Oh, I'm better. Oh, thank you. You know, in a, in a way well, that... A lot of times when Byrne starts his plot threads, he doesn't have an doesn't end know game where for going. directly, and he's even stated so in the in in the current plot that's going on, that you know he wasn't sure where certain things were going to happen uh, after a certain point. He, he has a better idea now, but you know he wasn't you know he wasn't a hundred percent sure. So you know I'll, I'll let that go. But you know the, on this right here, you know he did what he did, and I'm like okay, well. I'm glad that we don't have to hear about it anymore, but it's, yeah, it was kind of sloppy. But, you know, again, he doesn't have an editor. He doesn't, he's not following the normal, you know, process. And so his process is getting updated for him by the continual feedback of people like us. But he, you know, he can, as a, as a uh, artist, he can, he can choose to kind of either not read the feedback. He doesn't Mm -hmm. have to make, it's almost like he's, He's letting the feedback control him. He doesn't have to allow that. He can he can either not ignore it or not read it until he's finished with what he's doing, 
or read it as simple. Okay, I understand what you're saying, but you know this is this is my story I'm telling. And what what he's what what it does say to me is that he's not the kind of person that can't be swayed by a good discussion, and he's not someone that is going to be so adamant and so you know stuck to one thing that he's gonna you know disagree regardless because that's the way he did it. I like the idea that, that his mind can be changed if you give if you give him a lucid lucid cogent argument. Well, yeah, I agree, but it, it, I would think that, it, but it, but if you let it control you too much and you're, you start tinkering too much, then I think your story's going to suffer. And mm-hmm. if he starts cutting and pasting and moving stuff around, and and even and the thing with Cyclops, I mean, the thing with Colossus is, I, I thought it was cute. I, I don't understand if he was really thought, oh, the subplot's not going anywhere. To, to what Kirk said, he could have had a, a little bit of dialogue in a panel or two and he could have fixed it instead of doing this kind of very meta thing with him uh, coming in, talking to Colossus, or, you know, racing the leg and drawing a new one in. And then that, I think what's more uh, telling is the comment at the bottom where you know, Colossus says, makes a kind of stupid joke about, you know, I wonder what your fans are going to think and their heads are going to explode. Yeah. And Byrne says, well, wait till they see what I start when I start editing the earlier pages. So is he going to go back and he's edit? already done? He's already started that. Is he's he re-releasing those pages? Yeah. He's, he's put them in there with the original. So you can sit there and compare the two and see what he's changed and what it, it lets you know what's going to have to change afterwards. Because like, Oh, you know, the, the, the whole, you know, butterfly or a hummingbird, you know, in the rain, you know, it's, yeah. it's uh, the butterfly yeah. effect. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- that he's going to have to keep making changes down the road uh, as he updates the pages. So it's, it's interesting. It's good that we're able to see this kind of um, change or, 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 or editing being done. And, you know, after the fact uh, that someone can kind of George Lucas himself like this. And that's, it's again, nice. it's not always a good thing. It's a good analogy because going back and, and editing stuff like this isn't always a good thing. But at least it shows that you know, he's got a concern for it. And he's definitely concerned with what we think and feel about this stuff. Well, okay. yeah, I, I, I haven't gone and, and uh, uh, I haven't uh, I haven't gone and looked at that. I didn't, I didn't know he he was doing that. So mm-hmm. um, I have to go take a look at that. And I don't. This is so that makes this more of a of a behind the scenes at the process instead of him giving his stories and us reading them. It's more of Hey, well, you can. I'm letting you look at my process for making a comic, and the changes that go in. Go, yeah, go but how did the it. guys feel that you know got all these and collected them all together and went to the print <laughs> shop and had them printed into a bound trade paperback? Uh, you know, it's, you know it, they're like, oh man, I'm going to have to read you. Oh man, <laughs> but it made. And most places won't print them now. For you know, they've they've gotten word on. Well, yeah, and they understand and, about yeah, the that's copyrights. Not gonna so, yeah. Well, it may be it may be more of, you know, when you read something the first time and you, if you like it, then you're not you're gonna they're probably gonna ignore if it's like anything like retcons if they're gonna ignore um, changes that are made. So, I don't know. It's interesting that he's. I mean, I mean, he really is having with him having total control that he can just uh, alter this uh, as you go. 
So yeah. it'd be interesting, you know, to to see how how vast the changes are if they really have a big ripple effect uh, as it goes through. Maybe that's um, so. I don't know. Just, I wish I had gotten one of those hardbound volumes, or, or if they put out two of them, I wish I had ordered one now. Well, too late. I mean, I'm sure you could find a way to get someone to print it out, but. Yeah, you know, for me, it doesn't matter. I don't mind reading them on the web page like this, or I can download the CBRs and put them on my tablet and read them there, and yeah. it's fine. Um, moving along to the next plot point, though, he goes back to Shire Space, and we see a very War of the Worlds type uh, vessel out there digging up, digging up things and, and helping apparently Gladiator uh, get things picked up. It made me think of. Um, like some of the Planet Doom sequences in Ready Player One, where Irock was talking to Sorrento. I don't know if you guys know that movie well enough to know what I'm talking about. Um, nope. No, no I, I, I'm listening to a podcast that talks about that book and how terrible the book was. Oh, man, I don't want to listen to that. I love the book. Anyway, anyway, but uh, it just you know that's a that's a really good page. You got a lot of galactic stuff, some Argle Bargle, and of course the uh, the alien weaponry and Gladiator, and of course you know onto the next page where he's taking all that extraneous rubble out into space. I wonder if he's going to throw it into the sun. Mm -hmm. It's turning into a mass of uh, artificial moons that are going around the planet. Well, you think he'd recycle it? Yeah, well, gonna they're going to recycle it up there or something. So that, yeah, and of course that's the last page leading into the next story. Uh, but you know them giving him his command to go off and find the remains of Lalandra, whatever remains of her, and that makes sense. They definitely would want it, you know. And that last panel though, just him flying up towards the dreadnought is really, really, really cool. You know, though, um, a week ago. Um, for my daughter's birthday, she turned 25, uh, we got pulled into a, uh, a place where it's called Painting with a Twist. And that's where you go in and they show you how to do painting. They give you your own canvas and paint and all that stuff, and you get to do it. And one of the things that we did in this was we uh, painted the whole canvas black, and then we uh, wanted to put stars on there. So you're sitting there dotting it with uh, different colors and such. And then you take your white paint and you take your big stiff brush and you, you flick it like you would your toothbrush mm -hmm. when you're trying to trying to clean it off. You you sit there and you flick that onto the, the canvas and you get a whole bunch of white little stars and specks all over the place. And I am I, I, I can't paint. I can't draw. I can't draw a straight line. I can't draw a good curved line. Um, I have a, a motor skills deficiency that makes it so that anytime I try to draw anything, I look like a three-year-old trying to draw something. Pablo. <laughs> and but when I had finished that part of the uh, of the artwork, it actually looked pretty darn cool. And it makes me think of this uh, top of this page, uh, top of the next to last page there, when you see the Milky Way and all the stars and everything. Now I don't think he did the toothbrush. Uh, trick that I was talking about, but uh, he he did a lot of really cool things there. What's what's even more interesting is that they actually had us try to do his paper towel trick that we saw in Ganthet's story. You remember that towards the end mm -hmm. when, when the universe was reforming all that? Yeah, it, they had us trying stuff like that. And of course, I 
completely sucked at it, so my stuff was really, really, really horrible. Fortunately, the stars covered it up. I'll shut up about that. Now. <laughs> oh, I've never done it, but I've heard a lot of those paint and drink places. Or was that just painting? Uh, you could have drank, but we were there kind of early in the day, so right. I don't think anybody wanted to. We did have those are like, it's nice like painting, it, painting and wine, that kind of thing. Yeah. The later group looked like they were getting ready to do wine. They were painting wine bottles. So, okay, so let's move to the next one, which is is that eighteen? Seventeen. 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 Okay, hold on. Yeah. I'm trying to get back to the. Uh... Which is you know it has a prolonged Spider-Man Nightcrawler chase, which is fun, but it just seems like it takes up a lot of the book. And it doesn't um, go anywhere. And yeah, well, yeah. you don't know. It's, it still hasn't got I still love that. The, my favorite panel in all of this is the panel where Spidey is upside down. You just see the top of his head looking down. And way down on the street, you see the BAMF of Nightcrawler teleporting. Oh, yeah. And that, that's that's my favorite favorite piece of all that. Um, and then, uh, of course, you, you we, what you discussed before about Kitty swimming underneath and getting to Wolverine, and it makes perfect sense that his healing factor would cause him to uh, be able to turn back to human before others. Unfortunately, his clothes would um, stay stone, and once again, we've got naked Wolverine. Yeah, he's naked a lot. He's a naked <laughs> a lot of this. And, and it also, he establishes that these these people are they're like uh, James Arness and The Thing. Uh, he's plant-based so you can chop them up and they're not they're not dead so and that they're actually moving so i guess they're reforming or they're yeah, gonna regenerate or something's gonna happen with them again when she says i'm gonna be sick if you chop a salad it's still salad porous unconnected cellular growth just a minute Imagine, just man. a minute doctor it sounds like you're trying to describe a vegetable i am are you getting all of this oh for pete's sake Quiet, you know doctor that could be why the bullets fired by Sergeant Barnes had no seeming effect. That's right. Merely holes drilled into vegetable matter. It sounds like, well, just as though you're describing some form of super carrot. That's nearly right, Mr. Scott. This carrot, as you call it, has constructed an aircraft capable of flying some millions of miles through space, propelled by a force as yet unknown to us. An intellectual carrot, the mind boggles. It shouldn't. Yeah, I don't know why it would look. I don't know why they would think they would be. Uh, and it looks like when they're when they've got Wolverine uh, on the table and Aurora just comes in, it looks like they've started gathering it up and putting it in a bucket, doesn't it? You think? Or is that paper? Or is that paper? It looks like they've been picking it up. Yeah, but there's there's still like some chlorophyll type. They're oh. getting ready for dinner that night. I guess. Well, I think that's, gonna, that's like yeah. Why? People have been getting <laughs> sick. She did get sick, and that was a cleanup from that. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if it was that or just his. Yeah, I don't get it either because if you're chopping up something, it's just it looks like him chopping it, be like him chopping wood. So I don't know why Kitty would be. And it's more about his his uh, savageness, maybe. Yeah. Um, well, and they are humanoid, so when you think about someone who talks and speaks and has intelligence and a form. And then even if you're just viewing them as a piece of salad, they're not. They're not an inanimate um, stock of celery. They're, they're 
sentient beings and <laughs> and then to see someone so savagely uh, rip it apart that that is disturbing yeah i mean he's going she's at first going to see heads lopped off limbs lopped limbs and then then i guess he went i mean it looks like he not only just lopped off their heads and limbs and then he really started going on all the individual pieces he just <laughs> really started almost pureeing them like they've been yeah, through a salad blender. spinner yeah, <laughs> and you know, slap chop. One of the things that I'm disappointed in this um, portrayal of the X Men is their cavalierness towards it. I mean, their their total dismissing of this sentient being. They don't. I mean, they're mutants. They're being treated the same way that they're treating this this sentient being. I mean, I, I really I'm really disappointed. I mean, he's totally. I mean, these these uh, Dabari have a right. To be angry and upset and anybody any one of us any would be the same way i mean we would want to take our revenge we would want to um call for justice for against the person and the people associated with them that destroyed your world or killed your family killed your friends um i, th I think it's such a demeaning that they're not even taking this seriously it's like, oh, what? Oh, uh, Phoenix killed your planet. Okay, so you're 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 another planet. We don't care about you. It doesn't affect us. I, I just they just keep saying it, but it wasn't our gene. Yeah, but yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it wasn't them. It wasn't them, and they keep saying it. Nobody's listening, and, but, and it's the constant it misunderstanding. Was, the thing is, is it was their gene, because it was the gene that they had for so long. It's not the person who's standing there now. But right. at, up until that point, it was their gene, and it was the person that they grew to care and love, and it was the person that they loved afterwards. So, yes, I mean, and they bear responsibility as being part of that. Not they're not responsible for it, but um, it was the it was their teammate who did it. Um, and even if she was inhabited by the Phoenix Force, it was still their their teammate. That's a that's that's a good point, John. Because what? How would they react if this was their gene? If this was not the clone or duplicate or whatever? Uh, they need to be a little more. I mean, I think Cyclops needs to be a little more uh, Captain Picard about this. You know, they should be kind of horrified at what Wolverine has done, and they don't even try to stop him. I mean, even if they act like it was just so fast, but. It takes a while for him to chop, <laughs> to chop these guys into to, to this amount of mulch that they didn't even try to prevent him from doing it by blasting him or Kitty could have grabbed him and phased him through the floor or something and pulled him away. But uh, to your point, John, they could, you know, Cyclops could have been, yes, I know you, you know, uh, you want revenge, be a little more understanding that, yeah, your world was devastated and destroyed and you think we were responsible for it, but let's talk instead of just, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. but that's the it, wasn't, it wasn't us. The, the Jabari <laughs> were not going to stop. They were not going to, you know, take a back seat. They, they kept, you know, pulling, trying to pull out guns. More people kept coming. They kept on the attack. Listen and understand. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop, ever, until you are dead. Regardless of what, you know, the, the, and, and they were kept trying to trick them, too. And, so but, it's not like they could just sit there and say, stop. I mean, sometimes they do, you... 
but they could have. You have the world's most powerful telepaths sitting there that in the past has shown no qualm about freezing people in place. He did that to save Nightcrawler. So, no, I, I, I disagree with you. I, they could have no, done no, no, more no. to be to create an understanding. Um, Xavier has no problems with forcing people to believe things, so he could have just pushed it into their brains what really happened. But is Xavier um, even in that room? I don't think yes, he, he is. Yes, he is. He's sitting right there. Is he there? What page are you on? Ah, he's in a lower lower room. I don't think he had come in yet. Because, no, he comes in with... Uh, Late, later on, he's he's sitting in their room with them. I'm, I'm looking at the page. I don't know what page it is. It's page 86 of the file I have. But oh, it's, yeah. It's, after, but yeah I mean, it's the page after Cyclops is talking about, look, they're squirming around. And then the Vuk or whatever is grabbing his gun again. And they're all just laughing at him. Ha ha, I made it not work. You know, um, too bad for you. Um, yeah, I, I, I really think this was handled lot. terribly. I, I just don't like the way that they... It's very insensitive to their plight and what happened to them. And they're very cavalier. And it's like, oops, yeah, no, that wasn't our gene. So too bad, so sad. I don't like that. But that's just me. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But, but Xavier was definitely not in there at the time when Wolverine did that attack. He and Colossus and uh, Terry were uh, elsewhere. Because yep, you see right. later them coming into the room, yeah, and you know, the professor's like, Scott, Kitty, what's been happening here? Mm -hmm. And, you know, Kitty jumps on, on there, and, of course, Mrs. Uh, uh, Terry steps in the, um, the, the, the plant juice, so to speak. It's... Uh, okay, but later, yeah, he it, still could have done something more to make this understanding, and they're not. Well, he could have. He could have suddenly, you know, when Professor X comes in, he could certainly could set, could have, you know, projected what really happened to uh, Vok or Vuk or however you pronounce his name, uh, to let him understand that, look, you know, this was a tragedy, but it wasn't. It seems to be. I think your point, John, is that they're like, oh, it wasn't us. Oh, what? They're they're kind of brushing their hands of it. They're like, oh, yeah. it wasn't our gene. It's not our fault. You know, sorry that you're, you know, Wolverine chopped you guys up, but, you know, you shouldn't have come in here and attacked us. And I, I, I think I agree with you absolutely, John, that it's a little, um, they are a little callous. And you could say that, well, they've been through a lot, but still, they're supposed to be the one, you know, it's supposed to be, don't act like those that are treating you, you have to be above them. So instead of saying, yeah, we, we're, we're being uh, persecuted. Let's be have a little more understanding of these guys that don't understand what's going on, and they're just acting on the fact that they're you know maybe they're traumatized. I mean, think about what they've been through. Their entire it's not just their planet; their entire solar system was destroyed. Yeah. So, and I think maybe Burns by saying, "Oh, this stuff is still wriggling around," so maybe they're going to reform and regenerate. That does that take any of the the blame off Wolverine for what he did just because they're not dead and they're just kind of... Well, it raises the question, are the Dabari themselves truly dead? I mean, you could say, yeah, they got burnt up to a crisp or whatever, but if if they stay, you know, living sentient beings, even though they've been sliced up like that, who's to say that their essence isn't somewhere out there uh, in the ether, much like the way that uh, Lalandra's is? And they I, yeah, can't that's be possible. Back yeah. in some way or another. That's yeah. a that's a bigger. That's I, kind of a Palpatine question. You know? Did he survive the Death Star what, or not? What other reason would Burn put this bit 
into the story unless, because this is something new, isn't it? This isn't something that was known about the Dabari all these years. Because uh, no, hardly anything was known about the Dabari. They did have a major role in, oh, uh, what was it? In the Avengers story where they were talking about Mantis and uh, the the competition between the Dabari and the uh, and the Kree. Mm-hmm. And remember this? It's about issue 132, 128, right in there, where we start the Kang storyline. At any rate, it's not Vern's work, but it's basically yeah. that they had a competition to decide who was better, and um, the, the Kree lost. The, the uh, Dabari made a beautiful garden, and the Kree were so upset that they killed all the Dabari, and that's we, that was the only other time that we've seen them. They were peaceful asparagus people, as they were deployed. That was before the Frankenstein storyline. Frankenstein. Yeah, there was a Frankenstein storyline that happened in there, but yeah, I, I just in the Avengers, yeah, one thirty-two has a Frankenstein on the cover. Oh, 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 oh. Um, no, the payoff is a little bit later on. I mean, the yeah. Avengers storyline jumps and crosses from. Um, from their title into the giant-sized Avengers 2, 3, and ultimately 4, where they, they finally pay off and wrap up the storyline. Um, so it's, it's very confused, but it's through the Celestial Madonna storyline. Yeah, and, and isn't that the one that makes you know Scott and yes. Bill Robinson and all them kvetch and throw up no, all the time? No, it's just Scott. It's just <laughs> okay. Scott. Oh. <laughs> okay, and, back to, to, to this story now. Okay, so I mean, the, the things that we see here, of course, is that is you know the the Dabari keep, or at least Vuk and the Dabari keep trying diabolical plans in order to to stop and, and at least turn the X Men to stone, and ultimately they get thwarted, and at the point where you think, okay, they, they might be trying to you know to help them, but Gladiator all of a sudden comes in and we forget about the Dabari. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Gladiator and them, they bring in Jean in this special, very tight-fitting suit that takes away her powers. I don't know why they just didn't put something on her head to stop her powers, but um, maybe they thought that was fun. Well, she's, and, got a head, she's got a headband on, but right. you're right, the, the, the costume is very, it's very flattering. It's just <laughs> a way to, give, to put her in a costume now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank goodness it wasn't that what I always thought was a terrible costume that they gave to Polaris when she was... Oh, uh, yeah, I hated that, that one. That purple one the purple, with the... purple uh, one with the, the spiderweb kind of stuff on it. Yeah. That, that. that was a Dave Cockrum, Shyar kind of yeah. thing, so it makes sense. And Cockrum now this, makes up really great costumes, but that one I just... I never liked. <laughs> now, this last page, of course, gave us something that we, you know, that, that some of us had wondered about for years and others didn't necessarily know about but here we see two magnetos together along with x-men that just are so different beast looking like he's got claws on him uh marvel girl that uh just in a very provocative outfit unlike her green uh summer skirt Angel, uh, whose costume's a little bit, they all got the letter M, of course, on it. And Iceman looks like he's got almost like Magneto's uh, horns or something on the top of his head. It does look like that. 
Uh, and then, of course, you see Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch there, always looking like Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. They're the same. Well, and yeah. Cyclops. Cyclops never, he never gets a decent costume. He always yeah. has <laughs> variation like, on the... I like his costume. Yeah, I like the basic yellow yeah. and you know, yellow and black or yellow and blue. But And that helmet he has reminds me of, what's his name, from um, Gamma Flight. Yeah. Smart, Smart Alec. Smart Alec. Smart Alec. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. But you know what? It's very reminiscent of when Cochran first introduced the new X-Men and he used to have that giant visor um, <laughs> there. So, <laughs> Now, uh, I, yeah. I do have a question, though. Is that in the comic time, how long has it been since they fought Magneto and Wolverine cut him up really bad and he, he was, you know, at death's door on his asteroid? When he made the asteroid fall apart. Yeah, that's that about eight, 18 issues ago. That was 18 issues ago? Roughly. Um, but, but how much time has actually passed? Because haven't we shown that maybe it's been a couple of months? Because taking all of the gene uh, aspect of things, I thought that they had shown that well, at least some weeks have passed. Yeah, I'm going to throw this to the listeners, and I'll, I'll even ask the question out there, uh, you know, how long has that been? I'll, I'll try to figure it out myself, but it, that, that one's got me curious, because Magneto was in really, really sad shape, and if Wolverine cut him up as bad as he did, and he lost as much blood as he did, the amount of time to, to heal and recover from something like that would have been very significant. Yeah, yeah he's got advanced. Well, this is, an, yeah. uh, this is the question a I've got. This is... Uh, okay, the the Magneto that in this panel, the Magneto that's costumed, right, is a Magneto from the alternate timeline, mm -hmm. the where Xavier died. So Should the Magneto, a beard on him or something. <laughs> <laughs> so in that one, I guess because of Xavier having died and he supposedly is formed the X Men, he was never de-aged, right? So he's older. Yeah, he's older. Okay, right. so the other one that we're seeing is our prime time our prime timeline magneto who had been de-aged uh right so that's yeah. why he's younger than the magneto that's costumed yes okay oh that you know that's an incredibly that's a very astute point because that may be part of why this magneto is crossing over because he says i'm not he says i'm not and it, that's very it's almost fanish there where he says no, I'm not a future version of you. So obviously he's, you know, he's saying, I, yes, I look older than you, but I'm not a future version of you. I'm just a you from a timeline. Same time, just that, you know, he's almost like, the, it is, it's mirror. It's like the mirror uh, Magneto. So uh, this is going to be interesting that, uh, didn't the, what was the, uh, and I should know this and I don't, what was the issue where the X-Men fought robotic, robotic versions of themselves? 100 99 100. 100 okay so if that's going to be similar to you know they're gonna they're kind of they're kind of fighting their uh and maybe your point uh brian they're going to get beast back and Iceman, so that we're going to have almost one-on-one -on -one fights yeah i mean that's, that's an assumption i i, I don't yeah. have anything that, that backs that up but uh, that makes sense let, let's start looking at 18 because we we, we need to to get through this we've been on for a while uh, and I, again, we're on that page that you were talking about earlier where the watcher is looking at all these different alternative uh, incidents, which are basically covers of various what ifs. Um, 
And I didn't pick up on that. That was... Uh, what if uh, Jane Foster was Thor? Um, what if the well, Fantastic Four, you know, had, you know, what, had not gotten their powers? Is that right? They had different powers. And different, different powers. powers. Different powers, yeah. Uh, what if Spider-Man had joined the Fantastic Four? That's number one. The mm-hmm. second one is, I think, number four or five is what if... What if the Hulk had Banner's brain? I think. Oh, I thought well, what that if, was. What if Rick what Jones if, had become the Hulk? Is that it? Yeah. Okay, because I thought that okay. was what if Billy Lumpkin had become the Hulk because that <laughs> looks like Billy Lumpkin in the, in the middle there. That's but, general. Um, that's general. What Ross. if the Avengers or what if uh, fought what if the Avengers formed in the fifties as one of them? Yeah. Yeah. The Atlas. which basically, yeah. it's interesting about that. It's that um, they actually are kind of saying that that is actually in content or in universe context. That it was just basically, they weren't the Avengers, but it just kind of like after the 40s, these were the heroes that happened in the 50s, and then they just mm-hmm. kind of faded out. And then, so that was kind of a cool, it was sort of a what if, but not really a what if. I liked it, this next page though, where he's looking at Xavier and he sees Xavier's confrontation with Lucifer and how the block falls on him, and you can see it fell on his legs. Mm-hmm. And then he looks at a different panel where it's crushed him pretty much completely, and Xavier's dead. And then one year after that, Magneto goes into Xavier's home and breaks into his files and finds all of his uh, protégés, all the student, all the all the would-be students. But wasn't I mean they've retconned this? I Maybe mean, we've talked about this. That originally didn't Xavier lose his his legs? Uh, it wasn't during the war because supposedly he had fought in Korea, right? Right. That's when he fought no, in um, Korea yeah. with uh, his in, half-brother. In the original Kirby. Lee days, it was World War II. Was it World War II? Yeah, okay. uh, they even follow up on that uh, when in the Cochrane Claremont days, where uh, they show that that Xavier and Magneto, uh, known as Magnus, uh, met while Xavier was working at some kind of clinic, and he was trying to help soldiers. And that's where he met Gabrielle Haller, mm-hmm. and they wind up fighting uh, uh, Baron von Strucker with his. Mm-hmm. you know master glove whatever that that glove was called or whatever satan's claw yeah and magneto just basically crushes it on his hand and steals all the strucker's gold and right. basically gives the same speech that magneto gave at the end of x-men first class i want you to know i believe everything you know i agree with everything you say however you're a nazi <laughs> <laughs> and you know he basically did that strucker goes on his way magneto takes the gold and goes on to build his empire such that it is and you know that's where he and xavier uh split company and then xavier and uh a cured gabrielle holler get together and xavier gets her pregnant and that's where david that, came from data or legion david yeah legion. david uh, i thought you said data no david holler legion yeah well and i guess i this this really has no bearing on what we're talking about but i i for some reason always thought that because I think they keep changing it. That for some reason, when yeah. he's with uh, yeah. his brother and he finds the the he gets the juggernaut power, and he finds the the, the ruby, the, the ruby of Satirac, yeah, Kane Marco, yeah. and then the temple collapses. For some reason, in my brain, I was thinking that's where he got paralyzed. But no, no that's he just makes the, it out. His brother yeah. does not. Yeah, I always knew it as the battle with Lucifer and the the, the you know the block falling on Xavier's what cost him the use of his legs. No, they uh, ask that question when it's presented in X-Men 9, and he says, no, it was a different time. This is not the incident that maimed my legs. They, they address it directly 
as this tale is originally presented because the students go there. They immediately say, oh, is that how you lost your legs? And he says, no, uh, no. I don't know about that. I, 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 I'm going to have to go back and reread read because, you know, I mean, I, I read through them once, but it was more of a speed read just to see the events. And I, I read them recently, but I, I guess I didn't I didn't pick up on that. But Hang on, yeah. I'll go um, look in my masterworks. <laughs> Keep talking. Yeah, well, but it's interesting it, that, that yeah. Xavier was already gathering all this information on, uh, I guess, potential mutants. And then yeah, uh, Magneto certainly has a good laugh about finding uh, all this inf uh, finding all the files. Yeah. Now, going back to the story, uh, the next page is one that's been done a lot by people inking and coloring. Uh, even Jeff Tolbert did some work on it, which I thought was uh, kind of cool, but a little whitewashed in his colors. But uh, yeah, absolutely, because you, you got Gladiator just in, you know, deflecting Cyclops's optic beam. And the, the cool thing about it is that the way he's deflected the beam in multiple directions, it almost looks like panels in the page. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this looks really almost like a cover. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that would make a great cover. I think someone has made it as a cover. Yeah, then, one of one of the uh, inkers in um, Burn Victims did uh, release or did show up uh, a panel of when they inked it and colored it. it looked really nice, and it, it makes a great cover for sure. Yeah, I like it. it like inking, I'm not as fan as fan of the coloring that's coming off because they're doing it. They're they're inking and coloring it off of a tablet, and so they're using an application to do all the coloring, and it just comes off a little off. It doesn't look like a comic book to me when they do it that way. But that's just... Well, you, you're not going to get the... I mean, well, that, that birthday thing I sent to you of Wanda, I inked that. I mean, I took that, uh -huh. found that black and white, and I went in and spent about 30 minutes, and I put your name on it, and I colored it. And I just did that in Photoshop. That was really cool, by the way. Thanks. Yeah, yeah that was cool. Yeah. I loved it. Okay, so the, the next page, of course, shows the X-Men uh, in battle with the, the Imperial Guard. Um Colossus fighting, is it Tempest? Who's basically Wildfire, uh, who's basically energy in a containment suit. And a lot of people didn't realize that when they were reading the story here. Um, and Wolverine is fighting um, Fang. the, uh, what? Fang? Fang? Is it yeah. Fang? Yeah, it's Fang. It's okay, right. Fang, yeah. Yeah, it's Fang who wants revenge from the the, the fight back on uh, the homeworld. Um and then, of course, you've got God Hobgoblin, which uh, is a copy of... Uh, Changeling? Uh, no, it's uh, uh, Chameleon Million Boy. Who's or a Beast Boy. No, no, Chameleon uh, is a... Chameleon Boy is a Durlin. And all Durlins have the ability to change, change shape like scrolls. Um, and the, the, the wolf guy there, Fang, he's a copy of uh, Timberwolf, who uh, I think at that point in Legion continuity was actually an android, didn't know it. Right. Those um, are all Cockrum creations, right? Yeah. He, he, yeah. he ported he, over some of his Legion stuff? Right, right. And then, of course, uh, Astra here, who's got the most disco outfit I've ever seen, uh, is uh, Phantom Girl. Yeah. Who obviously is able to go through walls and such. And then uh, the other guy that looks like a lightning bolt, I'm not sure. that His name may be Tempest. Uh, but he's basically Lightning Boy. Uh, so, um, lightning Lad. So, lightning Lad, yeah. Tempest, the guy is, um, Tempest is Lightning Lad's uh, counterpart. 
Okay. So the wildfire is, um, I don't know what his name is, but you see Colossus going into uh, the Imperial Guard guy and he's punching through him. And of course, it's just a containment suit. So there's no real body or spone, uh, spine or anything in there. So as Colossus punches through it, you can see the outline of his hand on the back of the guy's containment suit coming through it. It's kind of like the, uh, what's the doctor in the Hellboy that was in Hellboy 2? He's just a, he's oh, like yeah. a ghost, but he's, he's, kind of, he's kind of like a like a wetsuit that he wears. Yeah, it, that's so creepy. That well, they're all kind of analogs, thinking about this. You know, yeah. basically, the guy, Tempest, or not, whatever, I don't think it's Tempest. The guy that has the orb, whatever he, he yeah. he's kind of like Cyclops. You know, he's equivalent to Cyclops. Uh, Astra is like uh, Kitty Pride, And... Uh, Tempest is like Aurora because they're both shooting lightning. Um, I don't be, you know, the, Hussar, of course, with her whips, then she was a total burn creation too. Uh, Hussar and Manta. Yeah, they're not they're not uh, analogs of the legions. Right. Neither is Joff or what was the other one's name? Mott or Moat or I forget. But he's not there. He was destroyed. I'm pretty sure. Or he's still back in the Imperial film world. Well, I it's what's left, and, and Fang seems to have a robotic. Either he's wearing a glove, or he does he have a robotic arm? <clears throat> well, he's got those he's, claws that are coming out. Um, yeah, but but one arm is is unclawed. It's like when he's slashing Wolverine, you see one. His right hand is oh, is got fur. His other one looks like he's got probably like Oracle. What happened when when Lalandra Phoenix, you know, roasted so much? Yeah, so he lost his. He's got a I, bionic. I didn't uh, notice that before. And then you see Storm talking to Tempest, and so yeah, that's the lightning lad kind of guy. I, the thing that bugs me here is Joff sitting there struggling against Hussar's, you know, lash, lash there. It's like the guy is so strong. Why would he be having any trouble whatsoever with that? You just didn't yeah, get he, the idea he, that she was super strong. Well, and he is, unless he's still kind of recovering. But yeah, you're right. He's his power level is is like gladiator level and that's the other thing it's, this is kind of like the, the argument of you know if you've got Superman you don't need the rest of the Justice League if you've got Gladiator you really don't need the rest of these guys because he can pretty much do any of it I do but, like this next page of Wolverine and Fang and um, Wolverine of course and that shot of Wolverine's face the sweat that's a good that's a, that's a that's a nice shot yeah great, that's great Logan shot and then Gene Scott is he always like this <laughs> And that's like the first time her really seeing him like that. But he gets yanked away by Pablo, who talks to him. And that's that's another thing. If you guys don't remember, Pablo's been basically yeah. labeled an autistic, uh, complete autistic. So he's like completely shut off from reality. And yet there's some things that always seem to pull him back in. And Logan's one of those things. And, uh, of course, the mother is like completely freaked out when that happens. But... Um, here comes Fang again, and yet Kitty comes in and pulls Logan and Pablo and Carla through the wall, which is just way too many people. Say she could have done this when he was attacking the Dabari. She right. could have grabbed him and faced him to the floor or the wall or something to get, you know, and he'd take him time to get back to him, and then maybe they could calm him down. Yeah, but in this state, he probably would have slashed out at her an awful lot, and while it doesn't hurt her per se it does have an effect on her and the more that she phases things 
the more tired she gets, obviously, because that's what's happening. Here. Yeah, because she's phase four people here, which I don't, I don't, you know. So Fulfur goes like... on a ber berserker rage on her. How long is she going to be able to survive it? Is she would have to escape him completely? Well, yeah, she could phase him through the floor, and then she just goes back out. He's stuck in whatever room he's at, or under the floor, wherever he's at. But, um, yeah. You know, and then this is another plot line which I hope he does something with his Pablo. It's like this guy's been here from almost the beginning, and well, the the thing that's getting me is the Kitty Astra plot line because, you know, in the next page, Astra comes down through the ceiling. She wraps up around Kitty, and they seem to merge. Right, Astra, and... is Astra from the original X Men? Yeah, she was. Is, she, she, or is she, she a character? No, she was in the Imperial Guard, and she's basically their uh, anagram of the Legion's Phantom Girl. Able to walk through walls like Kitty. Okay. And so her and Kitty, of course, getting into uh, whatever kind of battle they're getting into, but their forms are merging. Mm -hmm. uh, but next thing you know, we switch back over to the Greys in their apartment building in New Jersey, and uh, Oracle is probing, trying to probe their minds. And of course, she comes to the conclusion that the gene that's, that was there with them is not the Phoenix that destroyed their homeworld. But next we get to see, and I just like totally, my mind just was totally blown on this next page when Cyclops, you see Cyclops sitting there in a cabin talking to Jack Winters. Mm -hmm. And do you guys remember Jack Winters? Because yes. I do. Yes, Jack of Diamonds. And was he called Jack of Diamonds? Yes. I mean, because I knew he could turn to like diamond hard skin. Yeah. But he also had some clubs. telepathic ability and uh teleportation ability so wait the, i don't remember the teleportation at all but yeah that's what he actually he was the one that was going to be teleporting cyclops and magneto rerouted him into the center of the earth okay. supposedly killing jack winters right then and there but there's often talk that he was probably the father of emma frost hmm. and he could turn to diamond so, but, you know, was he a mutant or was he something else? It seemed like he was a mutant. But ultimately, yeah. if I remember back in the uh, original story, part of Cyclops' uh, origin, mm -hmm. uh, Cyclops and Professor Xavier used some machine to cause the guy to, to blow up and die, which was really rather cavalier, but still, so, you know. So it's, is he an X-Men yeah. villain yeah, or was he? Villain. But he's in... just there for Cyclops' origin story. Right. I don't know that he's ever showed up in the main in the main books, not in like a a, a cyclops. It was in the main books, but it was a backup series. story. That's right. And but they reprinted uh, them also yeah, in remember. Amazing Adventures when you when they reprinted the Kirby and uh, Kirby Lee X Men stories. They put them in the back as extra stuff. Um, yeah, look him up. So what you were saying, Brian, that's what I, I quite quite understand. So he seems like he's working for Magneto no. when he brought. Like he's this, bringing, is, this right here is not. based on Cyclops' origin. Everything that was there is everything that was supposed to happen in Cyclops' origin. It diverges when, Magnet, when Magneto pulls Cyclops to where he is and leaves and sends Winters to the center of the Earth. So, okay, so Winters is brought, he's mentally brought Cyclops to his cabin right. or whatever. And then he says, I'm going to use, then I'm going to go into teleport people and things. He goes, hold on, just. So they're so he, he so Winters thinks he's teleporting himself and Cyclops right. someplace else, but we yeah. don't know where. Not in this story. Okay, okay, but in the original story, what remember. was did he? 
I think okay. he was taking him so, into then, a bank or something to steal diamonds. Okay. I mean, it was a very shallow story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He was just going to use Cyclops' but here, power. Mag- Magneto has grabbed Scott and brought him to his volcanic lair, and then I guess Jack is... Maybe, maybe dead. Probably dead. Uh, yeah, he's... Yeah, that's what well, I get. Magneto like said he sent him to the center uh, of the Earth. Right. So, oh, that's true. Yeah, not his volcano, but yeah, so... So he's either in his Antarctic base? Yeah. Now... At the center is, of the Earth or whatever, so who knows. But yeah, I'm but sure he's he, dead. Keep <laughs> he, track... For, keep track of Magneto's helmet and costume because the shape of the, the, the area of the helmet around the eyes and the, the chest plate of the, of Magneto's costume will tell you which Magneto you're seeing. And of course this is the, the, wow. the, the other world Magneto, obviously. Uh, and he introduces Scott to Wanda and Pietro. And, and he says, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Cause she's the first woman he's ever seen. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> you know, he spent years in orphanages, you know? Okay. Could you say he's looking at her through... Yes, I would yeah. say so. And, and it's funny because people have been saying on the webpage, it's like, like uh, Scott must have a thing for redheads, and everybody's like, wait, Scarlet Witch's hair is brown. <laughs> Not through his glasses. Yeah, they're, they're all, all redheads. redheads but <laughs> you, know, you think of it because of Jean, Madeline Pryor, and, you know, all that, you know... But, uh, yeah, whatever. But, no, this is a, a really good uh, I- example of how those characters were back in the day. Still, Wanda and Pietro. You know, Pietro, of course, is the, the, the protect, overprotective, very jerky uh, brother to the Scarlet Witch. And Scarlet Witch is the, the fretful woman. And if you read the Ultimates, they're, no, they're, they're not, closer to their brother and no, sister. No, they're not. That's, I'm not saying anything about <laughs> no, Magneto no, not yet, yet, but uh, not, not, not that. But, well, it's funny that, that Byrne has done some subtle changes to her costume as well. She's got this kind of uh, almost vision-like uh, this metal cord girdle or whatever. And her look at her boots. Her boots have kind of bands around them. Mm-hmm. Petros looks the same, except he's got more like shoulder pads. I don't think he had those pronounced shoulder pads uh, in his original costume. No, he didn't. Yeah, that's almost like the yeah, yeah, like like the metal things Wolverine had on his shoulders when he first appeared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, I hope we get a little more backstory of when you know. Obviously, Megator says we're mutants. You know, you know, we should rule the planet. You're gonna you're gonna be joining us. Like he's not giving Scott a, um, a, uh, a choice, or you know, I'm gonna, I want to know, does he, is he some type of mind control, or is he? Oh, just, just wait, just, just wait, because, because that, that actually becomes rather apparent. Well, it's, I thought it was in Mister. I could be wrong, but um, yeah. Now the next page, of course, uh, we go back to Gladiator and the X Men and all their fighting, and Gladiator gets almost assaulted by Oracle's mental call. And she's, he said that she had to be using full strength of her powers to get through his mental shields. And then she tells them, uh, you know, you guys don't need to fight anymore. And they even let Jean out of her uh, little thing that's preventing her from using her powers. And then we get this wonderful shot at the bottom. And I don't know if you guys know this, but it's been edited since when it first came out. 
uh, it did at one point between Storm and Cyclops, uh, Wolverine was there. And Byrne has taken him out of the picture because he realized he should have been in the other room. Hmm. But I love that shot of all those characters there. Everybody's defined. Everybody looks like they should. Where? Where is the, this? The bottom of page two of the, of the well, I say page two, but it's, uh, it's when you're on the, the, it's not page two, but I think page 15 or 16. It, it's where, where Jane's yeah, taking her, yeah, her taking headband, her headband off, right? off. And it's right after uh, Gladiator's gotten a signal from Oracle. Oh, that, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And there's just that wonderful shot of all the X-Men and the Imperial Guard all together. Yeah, yeah that's nice. That's, that's some nice detail for such exactly. a small panel. If you blow it up, you, cannot, you can see where it was erased. Yeah, there is something missing there. Yeah. And then the next page, of course, you see Logan coming in with Carla and uh, Pablo. Right, Pablo. And then, 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 of course, they realize, okay, Kitty and Astra, Astra are gone. And Gladiator looks down to the floor, sees them as some sort of amorphous mass. And then he does his best Christopher Reeve right there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. What, I guess he figures he can't touch him, so he's creating a like a fused sphere around him that we don't see later, yeah, but again, assuming he brings this it This is the thing that bothered me here, is that this particular plot point stops right here. This is the last it, we see of it for a while. It, and Well, it, we haven't seen anything. It just disappears, even yeah, at the end. And, and with everything that's going on, you're like, wait, wait, what, what about all this? But, <laughs> um, okay, so Impulse was the one... Impulse. That's the wildfire analog. No, no, it can't be because uh, no impulse. Yeah, impulse. What was the other one called? Tempest is lightning. Tempest. Light. Yeah. But impulse is Sunboy. Nope. Nope. Starbolt is Sunboy. Starbolt. Well, he. This guy's got like a, a thunderbolt on his chest. Uh, the thing is, is, is that the one that's got the, that's like wildfire is in a containment suit. You don't have a definitive face. Yeah, he so looks like, like he looks like Manta. That's impulse, and that is um, the wildfire analog. Yeah. No impulse. This guy looks like this guy looks like Fire Lord. He's yeah. got a flaming head. Yeah, that's Tempest. That's the lightning lad. Cyclops is Cyclops is calling him impulse. He is. Then he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> See, now I gotta pull out a hot move and figure out who's what and who's who. And, and I know we're all like in a, a little hurry. I don't know why. It, 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 you know, for those that don't know, um, it, you know, today is Valentine's Day, and here I am in Fort Worth, Texas, and it is it has uh, been snowing all, all night. Look and in the so, chat. I just sent you all of the uh, Imperial Guard with their names. Oh, okay, good. But uh, it's been snowing all night, and so we've got a great layer of snow outside, and it's starting up again here in uh, a little bit okay so it's tempest is the lightning lab one but where's the guy that we're talking about i don't see it. there's impulse that's the one that's like wildfire but he doesn't uh see how he's got that big almost like visor kind of thing but no they're calling it the but look at the next page where he's flying and and Oracle says, Tempest, what do you sense? And it looks like it's the same guy with the lightning. He's not on here. He's, he's not on shooting lightning. But Tempest is, okay, Tempest is, and that's who Cyclops is talking about. And Impulse is right there. But who's the, was Tempest the one that had the fire for hair? Yeah. Yes. I think so. Yes. Right, I well, think so. There you go. Or, or Starbolt. 
They just calling it. Yeah, I think Cyclops just calling by the wrong. Or Burn did. Yeah. Or, or Burn did. Yeah. It's easy to get those yeah. guys mixed up. But I mean, the thing is, is like, so they go back outside, and Oracle, who appropriates help from uh, from Phoenix, uh, from Jean, brings Lalandra back. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that page where they show them doing that, aside from the sequence up top with Jean and Oracle. Everything down below that. No, I don't. I think there's very little pencils used on that. Pencils used for the skeletal figures, the body figures, but everything else was done a different way. That had to have been done on computer or something. That's not pencils at all. That's some. Um, yeah, that's something he's generated. Yeah. That's, that's a, I don't know what that is, but he's something that. But that's yeah. a beautiful page. I can imagine how great that would look once it's good colored. But I, I'm wondering if if by using Jean to help bring mm-hmm. her back. Is that going to somehow relink uh, Lilandra with mm-hmm. the Phoenix or something? There's got to be some reason for that, for yeah. her to, so that later. Uh, but you're, I mean, you're right. What what happened to, you know, they yeah. forgot about Ashley. I mean, like, oh, she's gone. they, they get Lilandra uh. here. They cover her up. It's funny. The last page looks like it's a Xerox copy of the last page rather than a scan of the actual page itself. Um, yeah. And then they all yeah. fly off, and it's just like and oh. they fly off, and yeah, oh, I like that. Your involvement like is, that is in it. Yeah, I like that too. Them flying off, but they say we got to get him to the ship for the med, the uh, the medmax. We'll tend to her. Doesn't say they're leaving the system, so maybe they're still in orbit around Earth. They're just getting her to uh, the yeah. med bed, you and know, that, sick bay. That would be their, on their first ship. priority, yes. And maybe uh, when they, you know, whenever he resolves this thing with. Uh, you know, it's gonna it's gonna wind up being Professor X is somehow gonna try to split the two entities apart, and and uh, or they're gonna maybe they're gonna stay merged for a little bit. So Kitty, it'll be Kitty and Astro merged. Or I'm wondering if Kitty is gonna get something from this merger when Astro they finally separate them. Is Kitty gonna have more maybe more control of her power or a heightened power level? Or maybe a new power. He's not a big something. fan of people giving yeah. people new powers. He's he's more inclined to take them away. Where's um, Kitty? On it this could be that, you know, you know. Where's Kitty and whoever she merged with? No, they're they're not. That's the thing. She's not. I'm just it, saying. It, in the, I'm saying. I'm saying when he picks his story back up, is that what he's going to do? Yeah, I'm, but I'm so far in the new pages, he hasn't gotten back to that. That's just. I thought that was pretty. Yeah, pretty dramatic development. And I was waiting for that to pay off someplace. Yeah, it's I like, mean, we're two weeks like into it now and still haven't gotten there. So, I mean, we've gotten like 10 pages so far. And no, not, yeah. not yet. Well, and he's, 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 he hasn't addressed... Uh, and yet he took uh, a whole page to address a Colossus's leg in this meta page. Um, and we, yeah, we did finally get to see his electric eraser on it, too. Yeah, and it's colorized. When I originally saw it, Burns hand and... The eraser was not colorized. It was yeah, no, uh, it was. It always, it always was. Really? Yeah. I don't remember that. I remember it being black and white. Yeah, those those were put in there like he he did uh, his insertions in the Fumetti pages. So, because he's he's trying to demonstrate how is that electric eraser of his works. I bet you that stinks. You know, like eraser stink. Scratch, oh. scratch, scratch. Um, I did a little bit of research regarding that block falling on Professor X. Yeah. And I've got to walk back what I said 
The scene is actually in uh, X-Men number 20, the original Silver Age. Uh, was, uh, it's not quite Stan and Jack, but uh, that it's during that era. And the scene is at the end of uh, page 18 where Jean Grey, Marvel Girl, is, has some sort of a headdress on and she's reading an inert Professor X who's immobile in his chair. And he's sharing with her his memories of his confrontation with uh, Lucifer. And sure enough, when the block drops and drops on his leg, uh, Lucifer leaves. And she says, they're thinking, talking telepathically in the present day. She says then, that's how you lost the use of your legs years ago. And he responds, yes, Gene. And it is yet another reason why I founded the X-Men. So what I was remembering was from issue nine, where it is not addressed, but it is addressed in 20. I distinctly remember somebody like Beast asking him about an accident where was this when you lost your use of your legs? And I remember the professor saying, no, that was another one. Sometime I'll tell you about that. So you were correct and I was wrong. But when I look up the Ohatmu entry on Tempest, going back, going back to the Imperial Guard, they don't say anything about his hair being on fire. The, the, obviously, Starbolt was one who his whole body seemed to be on fire, so his head was on fire. But his face looked more like a skull, you know, like the atomic skull or whatever. And then Impulse, of course, was the one in the containment suit that didn't have a face because it was pure energy inside. And I just don't see any other member of the guard that could have uh, been him. Anyway, so the only other thing that really kind of threw me off just a little bit was Colossus talking to Bird. And he goes, ah, Peter, uh, there you are. Thank you for coming. And Colossus responds, of course, Comrade Byrne, because he says Comrade Byrne. All of a sudden, I'm thrown into a thick Russian accent. Of course, Comrade Byrne. <laughs> Your summons was so urgent, I could not possibly ignore it. But I don't think of Colossus as having a thick Russian accent, you know? Right. Authorization code 95, Victor Victor 2. Authorization not recognized. Authorization code 95, Victor Victor 2. Access granted. May I have your attention, please? Uh, Why just? Uh, I mean, yeah, he came. He came straight from a farm in Russia, where he probably right. didn't have the thickest of accents, like like in Deadpool, <laughs> uh, like Colossus does in Deadpool. And I really love his portrayal in the Deadpool movies, but it's still not the the Peter that I read when I read Colossus. Now, again, most of the Peter that that we've read over the years has been Claremont's Colossus. And so, you know, you read him and you hear the character as Claremont wrote him. So, you know, the, the image, the, the voice that I hear in my head just doesn't doesn't work with the accent. Well, I mean, same same as Kurt probably has a heavy mm -hmm. German accent and Aurora has a like, would it be like a South African Af accent? I don't know what kind of accent she would have. Maybe a, I don't, I don't know, but she would have an accent. Same with Banshee. He's going to have a probably a pretty heavy brogue. But they um, never let any of them keep their accents in the in the movies. I mean, Aurora have one in the first X Men, and Halle Berry didn't want to stay with it, so that went away. Uh, well, it did in Apocalypse. They gave her kind of an accent. Something, something. that was the new actor. That was uh, the new actor. Yeah, so, just yeah. just a generic 
Right. It's kind of generic. The banshee they accent. had in first class had no Scottish accent at all. He was a dude. Or Irish. Yeah. He'd be Irish. Um, or well, Kurt. They did. Kurt. Kurt kind of had a yeah, German Kurt, accent. Yeah, oh, Kurt. That was that sounded like Nightcrawler to me. Everything about Alan Cummings as Nightcrawler felt like and sounded like to Nightcrawler to me. He didn't have to be in the in the, in the Nightcrawler costume. I thought the clothes that he wore were fine. And I thought, and this is going to sound so weird, I thought his fingernails looked perfect, if that makes any sense. If you see the fingernails that they did on Nightcrawler, just everything about him was perfect, handled, handled perfectly. But I, again, I always imagine them when I'm reading Claremont's X-Men speaking perfect English. Maybe slight accent, but not strong enough, you know. But still, Alan Cummings represented him perfect for me. And let's face it, uh, Wolverine would probably have a Canadian accent. Okay. He wouldn't remember it. <laughs> well, not now. <laughs> but he, <laughs> well, he may not, because he's so old. He might have, uh, he might have a, uh, that type of accent. But, but it's what like is in, a Canadian uh, accent? I mean, not everybody up there is, you know, that kind of Canadian, eh? Yeah. <laughs> well, he is from the. Well, it'd be more like uh, uh, in Highlander. When they ask him, he says, you know, you've got a funny accent where you're from. He says lots of places because he's so old. He's got kind of this kind of, um, this kind of watered down accent. You ever see the movie Fargo? Um, Eh? (laughs) Yeah. That's that's what I really like. No, no. That's my my Aunt Joanne. That that Mm -hmm. right there is her to a T. You're going back to school again, yeah? Where's uh, where's where's our, our our resident Minnesotan, David? He's needs to. Uh, well, I was I was from there as well, but I worked very very hard to get rid of it by the time I got to college. But if I get really really tired and really really drunk, you might hear me say no when I'm talking about Winona. Yeah. We can't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> That's Canadian. Um, Boot is Canadian. So I thought the. Um, <laughs> The end page was just a really lot of fun. Some people thought it was stupid, some people, but I thought it was kind of fun. And then it, he says, "Oh, I'm going to go back and change all the stuff in the back." I think he should, and he should just leave the leg there and just let it be part of the joke. It's 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 fine. I mean, it's, I think it's cool. He's admitting that he's just like, "Well, I, the story," and that kind of shows that the stories take on a life of their own. They just eventually start moving in their own directions and. He had a plan for that leg thing, but it just didn't serve a purpose. And eventually Never. it just, it's mute. So I'm fine yeah. with him doing this as a fun, fun way to just kind of uh, connect with the fans and say, yeah, you know, I kind of admit that, yeah, I kind of got off track with this. So whatever, I'm just going to fix it now and <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it, except that he's never oh, done yes, anything like this. He's been kind of meta before... Well, now I'm not talking. Well, okay, what? What? I'm not talking. He's been meta before in that he's he's brought himself into uh, the story. And I think when you and think he, about the Hulk book, the little Fumetti thing they did at the end of that, um, you know, the, the, that kind of stuff you see Byrne doing. Yeah, but that's more. I see that more as an ad for. That's like a house ad for uh, upcoming. I don't see that as part of this. Is he's kind of incorporated this into. The story. He's never. Well, I, I mean, he makes a clear delineation at, at the end of the top, at the, at the end of the previous page, 
that this is the end of the story. Oh yeah, I forgot uh, the last panel of the of the of the, the the last page of the story where it says next nothing similar is the same. What is the star sparkle here? Is that is that Phoenix? I wonder about the, that's got to be you know the the other Phoenix reforming after uh, the Lalandra body was uh, taken away. Maybe it's the Dabari. Um, they just kind of tossed them out like seeds to see what's going to happen. Yeah, we don't know what They've happened grown. to the Dabari, but I mean, you figure. <laughs> How many sparkles so, do you see? Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Five? Yeah, like five. Yeah. With uh, a bunch of smaller things, too. Yeah. It's dots and stuff. Yeah, it could be. Maybe it's instead of instead of uh, allowing. Lalandra to have the Phoenix Force again by using Jean to help. Yeah, maybe it's, it's helping yeah. Phoenix, or maybe the Phoenix is the Phoenix itself, or maybe it's just the no, Phoenix. No, but the, the Phoenix entity, merges with it's... the Dabari and then yep. goes back to the Dabari world. <laughs> yep. And finds the remainder of the the souls or whatever there, and creates a new Dabari homeworld. There you go. That could be. Yeah, that works. And the Phoenix, Phoenix, it looks looking for redemption. It recreates the sun and the planets and all the Dabari, and then it vanishes off into the cosmos. And it's, you know, it's felt like it's redemption. All right. Well, we we've been going on for several hours. I think <laughs> we've we covered it. We covered this enough. I, you know, I, I wanted to to read those thoughts on the um, on on you know elsewhere and what people are loving about it. Uh, and I did you know, just read the, uh, let's see, let me, let me just give a couple of these here and t- see, see if you guys want to provide any feedback. Um, and some of them are just very simple things like Ernest Graham says, I like that he seems to be having fun with it. He's throwing everything into it that he likes to draw. Um, Antonio Moretti responded saying that the pacing at times can seem abrupt, especially if you read it day by day, but the artwork shines all on its own. It's been like a masterclass in panel layout, scene layout, perspective, and background rendering. And I got to agree with that. Um, Scott Casper says that John loves doing this, shines through every panel. The artwork is simply gorgeous to look at. Also, that these are my favorite X-Men stories I've read since John left drawing the title back in the 70s. That just proves to me that John is the magic ingredient that makes the X-Men special. I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. H U W J. Is it huge? Huey. Huey? H U W J? Huey? Okay. Huey Matsumura. So he's, I believe he's Japanese. For me, it is like finding the characters all over again. Over the years, the X Men lost what it is that made them fun and special. Logan's history has been overused and abused, and the current Krakoa storyline is a mess. Even with the intertwining stories, this feels fresh and fun and return to the characters that made me pick up the books all those years ago. Criticize all you want. Burns knocked the ball out of the stadium on this and shown the new guys how the characters should be written. Oh, and don't get me started on the art. LOL. That's pretty cool. Yep. Let me jump down yeah. further. I know a lot, a lot here. Uh, let me see. Benjamin Ledbetter says, I love seeing his pencils again. The added trees, he's drawing these characters. Oh, yeah, okay. He stopped doing pencil-only commissions a, a long time ago, and it's just really cool to see his fully rendered pencils again. Almost every page, there's at least one panel that is pretty incredible. And it's also interesting to see his current interpretation of some of the characters, Wolverine in particular. 
it's like his Wolverine merged with the one with with one of the later more slick versions. It's like Jim Lee's, and now it's an all new version that still looks like Burn. It's cool to see. I can't speak to that because I didn't really pay much attention to Jim Lee stuff. I didn't really wasn't really reading X Men back then myself. Any of you guys? I don't remember when that was. All right. Yeah, I mean, I, I read I read X Men up until I stopped in the five hundred, so I was. Uh, well beyond uh, what Burma's doing, but uh, I think the look of him is fine. I, I I want him to kind of get over his his savageness now because I'm not as interested in the the savage, uncontrollable Wolverine. Is more of a, when he's more of a kind of a control. Yeah, that super so. passive version of Wolverine also is kind of weird. I don't want to call him wet blanket, but yeah. mm, all right. <laughs> yeah, um, David will writes, I think my favorite part of all this is seeing everything in pencil form without inks. You get to see a little bit of how the sausage is made. Of course, on the other hand, it would be great to see it one day published, finished with inks. Maybe someday. I wouldn't hold my breath. Um, I mean, we've talked about it in the past, how it's just not getting published because Byrne doesn't want to have to deal with the editing, uh, the editors and such. Um, He's been burned too many times, no pun intended, uh, by the powers that be of both the big companies. And we see he seems to be more comfortable working with guys like uh, who they're who they have at IDW. Um, so I, I really don't think it's going to happen, at least not while the man's living. With that being said, I guess uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, I've read a couple of the, most of these. I mean, we get the same thing from most of them. Is, is pretty much the same message. Loving this, especially the uh, the pencil art. I don't see any complaints about not being inked. I I've gotten so accustomed to it. I don't even think about what it would look like ink. I'm just liking it as it is myself. You know, it's like getting drawn into a black and white TV show, and after a while, you don't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah, well, if it's a good story, you shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't draw you out too much. It'd be cool to see if it was inked and colored. But you know, I, I'm enjoying the pencils too. But and yeah, if uh, if it ever gets to a point where someone collects all of the inked and colored pages that everyone's doing, I think that would be a fun project just to see uh, all of the different inked and colored pages from all these other folks that are just so lovingly doing this and like like Jeff and. Uh, a couple of the other folks on the burn victims page, you know, they're having so much fun and it's, it's great to see that, that part of it. Yeah. I do want to thank uh, Michael Fitzgerald, Troy and uh, Bill Lutz, both are friends of mine for, uh, for commenting and such. Um, you know, Michael, I, I don't know if you guys recognize the name, but he's been posting a lot of items in the third degree burn uh, Facebook group. Uh, different YouTube videos, which are basically his uh, going over a lot of X-Men stories, a lot of Fantastic Four and uh, other things across Burns' career. And then Bill Lutz is a uh, comic book creator in his own right, uh, mm -hmm. who's uh, provided me some artwork um, over the last couple of years, some pretty pretty neat stuff. you got to check it out. Um, I'll, I'll put a, cool. a sample of what of something he sent me. Um, really cool stuff. Well, has anybody got anything else? Yeah, I was saying any final uh, final thoughts, and we covered three issues. That was a, kind of a big show yeah. for us. But well, if anybody else has any comments, whether or not they put them on the Facebook page, they can write to us at uh, gotta get burned at gmail dot com, and maybe Brian will read the best of them on the air. 
Well, someone else can read them too. I'm, I'm not the only one with history. <laughs> well, let's be honest. We get the little email. We'll read all of them. <laughs> yeah, it's not like we're cost of glittering delights with Andy Leyland over there that gets bags and bags of mail from Willie Lumpkin. So, well, I, yeah, I think, and I like think that, Tim right. Elliott writes in all the time. No kidding. Gosh. Oh, I gotta, I gotta, gotta give Andy something. I keep waiting for uh, Paul to read mine. I've been writing into uh, is it Jaws on his Bond, He's been yeah. doing the Bond series with Dave, and I've been I've written three or four Speaking. emails, but. Paul has to kind of, I guess, gather together. Which, uh, I came across a horrible, horrible movie recently called uh, Cool Jaws. Yeah, Have you guys heard of this? Yes. Yeah, I, I watched oh, it. I commented right. on it the other day. That is just uh, horrible. <laughs> Whoa. It was a cash grab when the movie Jaws was really hot. That's all. Well, this is now this yeah, movie was in '95. Twenty years later, and it's just—I mean—they take stock footage from Jaws, and and Spielberg's got it in his contract that you can't do that anymore because of what happened in Duel, because they took footage out of Duel and used it as stock footage in other shows, like the the Incredible Hulk TV show they used some movie. And so, well, the I just no, go ahead. Well, I'll just say the att- <laughs> Go I'm ahead. just saying Spielberg got it in his contract that they cannot use any footage from his movies as stock footage anymore. So for these guys to use his footage, they basically ripped it out of there without any permission. Well, the Italians uh, are notorious for they don't care. They there's a some of the, a lot of most of the stock footage from that film is taken from an earlier Jaws ripoff called White Shark or uh, The Last Shark, and it's on Prime too. You can watch it. Uh, and it, in fact, it was sued by uh, Universal, basically sued him, so they had to stop showing it. And then there's another uh, Jaws ripoff called, I think, uh, Blood Tide or Blood Water or Red Blood, something like that. They took, took so this movie is a combination of two other Italian Jaws ripoffs. They stole film from them, and they you can see that there's film from Jaws and Jaws 2. Are both in there? Very quick, yeah. quick clips, so it's almost hard to tell what they are. That's what I thought. It was. But it's it's if you like bad movies, it's worth watching. <laughs> if you don't, then don't don't it waste looks your time. Like they took any any shark footage they could get their hands on and threw it in there. Based maybe, on just yeah, yeah. maybe it'll show up in Sven <gasps> <laughs> It's definitely a mystery. Well, Mystery Science Theater did, or Rift oh. Tracks did a version on um, the Last Shark, and it's got. It's mostly Italian actors, but it also has uh, uh, Vic Morrow's in it doing a terrible Irish, Scottish something accent yes, that comes um, and goes. So he's kind of, he's kind of the quint character, and uh, he's all over the place with his accent. And it's um, it's worth you know if you like those type of films, it's worth watching. But it's not Jaws. So. <laughs> I know. Paul, Paul, don't review it. It's not Jaws. I, I can tell you right now. There's not any you know there's not any classification lower than Jaws four. This will be this a, a, well. There, there this was. Will this be is, yeah. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's see the the thing is, Paul has been talking about adding a new classification of so bad it's good. Oh. And I guess that would be Jaws Five. So this would have to be go beyond that. <laughs> oh man. We should wrap it up, guys. Oh yeah. You know, I just wanted to uh, say, you know, of course, I want to try and throw some more questions to people out on the Facebook group. So keep an eye out for that. 
if you want to have any uh, any input. But we would really like to hear from you. Like Kurt said, please uh, write us on uh, in the email address or in the Facebook group. Um, we'll try to read anything we can on on air. And upcoming over the next couple of weeks and months, we've got a lot going on. Uh, we're going to be doing some team ups with uh, other networks and groups. Uh, you'll see. Uh, uh, an acts of vengeance team up with uh, others so that uh, Tim and I and the guys will uh, be covering some more acts of vengeance. And then uh, are we talking about other stuff, Tim? Can we mention this? Well, we just, we've got a, yeah, we've got another uh, team up. I think we're back to the bends coming up with those, uh, Paul and uh, Scott. Uh, Paul and uh, Scott and uh, I don't know if Dr. Bill's going to join or not, but uh, we're going to be covering some some burn superman stuff and legion uh then we've got some because we're coming up on our 75th anniversary or 75th episode uh we've got some things in the works that Fun we Dr. Bill. what we're doing but we're gonna try to do some <laughs> some, some kind right. of special shows well i've got that's everything i've got here unless you guys have anything else you want to bring up well, who's gonna take us out let's let's let john take us out Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on Third Degree Burn. We had a lot of fun. Please do let us know what you think about X-Men Elsewhen, uh, the, the good, the bad, and the uh, the fun. And bad. Uh, bad. Huh? I know, there's no bad. Well, they think they might think it's bad. But anyway, and uh, we appreciate you listening and sharing time with us. And yeah, this was a longer episode. You can always pause and take a break and then come back and, uh, and hang out with us. Send your feedback, as Kirk asked, to our email or on our Facebook page. And uh, for now, happy Valentine's Day. Of course, by the time you get this, it will be later. But, hey, we're thinking of you anyway. So uh, say goodbye, Brian. Goodbye, Brian. <laughs> and um, with us also is uh, Brian and Tim and Kirk. Have a great time. And thanks for joining us. For listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T W O T R U E F R E A K S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number 3 R D D E G R E E B Y R N E and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn spelled with the number 3 and Burn spelled B Y R N E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gotta get burned at gmail.com. That's G O T T A 
G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Until next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.